1: Well, greetings from the Florida Panhandle, where I think winter's kind of ended, at least hopefully for a little while. I mean, I shouldn't say that every time I say something like that, we get a cold snap. within like three days, so I should be more careful. But, uh, um, but we had some really cold weather in December, and then we had another cold snap last week. And uh, now it's actually tolerable again, which means it's, it's thunderstorming. So it's either thunderstorming and warm or, or, or cold and clear. <laughs> So you get your choice. You know, pick, pick whichever you're going to freeze to death or be soaked to death. Either, either way, it's, gonna, it's not going to be great. Um, although we do tend to get a lot of power failures around here. And so the, uh, um, it was up this morning, <laughs> too. And I was like, geez, is it going to be on by Showtime? And it did. It came on like 4.30 something like that. So I was only about half an hour you know, waiting around in darkness. I've, I've got my little storm light. So I can still do things. The phone works. You know, the computer doesn't. Um, but uh, once I figure out which, which universal power supply uh, will, will be the best one, then I'll, I'll have something extra uh, just in case. Now, usually these things go out at night. And I, I guess the, the power folks figure that, you know, nobody's awake at 4 in the morning except maybe, you know, me <laughs> and some other folks around here. But um, it's, it's nice to have it going. So they sort of – it's usually on by 5. So at least it'll give me a couple of hours of, of wide-awake prep. Um, and I'm wide awake today. This is unusual. I, mean, I I must have gotten sleep last night. I feel pretty good. And so I, I was trying to find my COVID shows. The ones from three years ago where I sounded like hell. I mean, I sounded really bad uh, January of um, of uh, 2020, you know, when this whole COVID thing, before we even knew what it was. And so I, I, I'm looking for just one really bad gravelly voice show where I'm coughing constantly and I'm just miserable, right? I know it's there because I, you know, I'm a trooper. I just keep going. I'm like the ever ready bunny. You know, I don't care how bad, you know, things are. If I can get to the microphone, you know, uh, that, that's when, you know, I'm, uh, when things are serious, if I can't crawl up to the microphone or just drag it to the floor, you know, I'm still here. <laughs> You know, kind of thing with my, 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 my gasping old days breath, but uh, we're not there yet. So fortunately, you know, I we'll keep going here. You know, good Lord willing, we shall uh, continue to persevere and, uh, you know, advocate for freedom for, for as long as possible. So tomorrow's going to be very interesting. Uh, tomorrow I have Christina Bob on. Uh, this is going to be fabulous. And she's only here for 30 minutes, but you know me. You know, if she wants to stay longer. She can. You know, we had Lloyd Brunson for two hours. Uh, we had Roger Roots for two hours. You know, these people only schedule for an hour, you know, and I think an hour is good. I can pretty much accomplish anything I want to in an hour. Half an hour gets a little crazy. And so I know a lot of folks would love to talk to her, uh, Jonathan Mosley in particular and some of her other folks, because he's legal and she's a lawyer too. And so I got a couple of fellow lawyers. But uh, as always, when I have a major public figure, uh, it's always very restrictive. And I take calls if I can, but generally no. Uh, Just because, you know, there's there's not enough time to do the things that I need to do uh, to get accomplished what I want to get accomplished. And what I want to get accomplished tomorrow is Connect Action Radio with the Trump campaign. So Christina Bob is uh, Trump's lawyer now. He's one of many who've been lawyers. I'm not sure uh, the current status of Rudy Giuliani or uh, Jenna Ellis. Those Those are the two that went around and did all the hearings around the country, taking affidavits by the thousands you know, of all the election, uh, they come irregularities. Let's call them crimes. <laughs> let's, let's be blunt, shall we? And so I'm going to be blunt with uh, with Christina tomorrow. But there's some things I want to know because we've been speculating for I don't know three years now about some of the things that happened uh, on January 6th. First of all, the challenge to the the electoral uh, votes of Arizona had to go forward, otherwise that uh, the, there's a chance that Congress might have uh, uh, approved the the Brandon elect- I mean, the Trump electors or at least sent the Trump electors back to the states. So wait a minute, we can't vote on this now. Let's send them back. Nobody made that motion. Why? Because Antifa, Black Lives Matter, FBI operatives, you know anybody else, you know informants, you know various recruited terrorists from around the world who were uh, walking into the Capitol at the open doors of the Capitol Hill police, which was of course part of the coup. They're in on it too. Um, had to stop the Arizona challenge. You know, because if Arizona was challenged in the first of the battleground states, so then they all might have been challenged. Well, if they're all challenged, then those, those electors would go back to the states and the states, they might vote the Trump electors. Well, you can't have a coup, you know, if the, if the Trump electors get, you know, get substituted for the fraudulent Brandon ones put forward by the governors and the secretaries of state, as opposed to the, the Republican state legislators that are putting forward a slate of Trump electors. And so these are the things I want to ask about. You know, did uh, did Congress get the talk, you know, as I call it, under the Capitol for eight hours? You know How many arms were twisted under the Capitol while the distraction was going on above the Capitol of you know, Trump supporters taking selfies, which were later portrayed as revolutionary um, insurrectionists trying to overthrow the government? Well, you don't overthrow the government with cell phones you know, standing beside statues. <laughs> First of all, you, you couldn't overthrow the government anyway because even if all the buildings in Washington were, were taken over, the government would simply move. they go somewhere else. You know, they're, and there are contingencies and provisions and orders of succession. This stuff's all taken care of. You know, so unless you you know kidnap everybody or worse, you know, then uh, you're not going to. And even if you did overthrow the government, you might overthrow the people, but you'd never overthrow the government because the government people would simply be replaced by other people of the government, who would take their place, and the government would continue. And so, but that was never the idea of Trump supporters. Anyway, we weren't trying to support the guy. We weren't trying to uh, you know overthrow the government. Trump supporters were trying to maintain the government, <laughs> and obviously the people overthrowing the government were the people that were, uh, you know, Mike Pence, the, the Democrats, the Republican geldings, and all the folks that denied the, uh, the Trump electors their place to be counted. And so that's what really happened. So those are the things I want to ask about. I want to ask about the 22nd Amendment, uh, which says that uh, any president who serves less than two terms, uh, that's not counted as a full term, and they can run again. Well, that, that was January 21st. That was Saturday. <laughs> so as of Saturday, January 21st, 2023, uh, President Trump's second term, which it is, he can step into office anytime if uh, Congress you know, corrects their mistakes and, and the states correct their mistakes and the Trump electors are duly uh, certified and the Brandon electors are disqualified. Trump goes back in. He can still run in 2024. Now, there's a little ambiguity in the, in the Constitution, so I, I might as well address that now. We got a lot of time. <laughs> we don't get too much time. Um, but that's um, – let us see. 22nd Amendment. So 14, 15, 18, 17. Ah, here we go. 22nd. Which says no person shall be elected to the office of president more than twice. Okay. And no person who has held the office of president, here we go, or acted as president for more than two years of a term to which some other person was elected president shall be elected to the office of president more than once. Okay, now here's what gets, here's, here's what gets a little sticky, right? And this is, what, this is why uh, I'm, uh, well, we shall ask Christina Bob's advice. And, of course, she talks to Rudy Giuliani and I'm sure Jenna Hill and I'm sure all the other the, top, the real lawyers, not, not, not the, uh, the, the gelding lawyers that are defending folks like uh, Marjorie Taylor Green. And uh, you know, other people in, in – in, Lauren Boebert, I guess she was a, a little thing too. But anyway, uh, so, but it gets, cra- it gets a little crazy where it says here, uh, or acted as president. Okay, so Brandon's acting as president, but he's not actually president. He's, he's the coup, right? So, so that doesn't really apply to him. So who, was, who held the – so who was elected? Trump was elected. Now, it says for more than two years of a term to which some other person was elected president, shall be elected to the office of president more than once. Okay. But this article shall not apply to any person holding the office of president when this article – okay, all right, da, 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 all right. But here's the key. It says uh, uh, no person shall be elected to the office of president more than twice, and no person who has held the office of president or acted as president for more than two years of a term to which some other person was elected president. Well, they say Brandon was elected, okay? So if, if we go to the assumption that uh, you know they said that the Congress and, and uh, the deep state and everybody in the media said Brandon was elected president, okay? Well then, uh, as as this election gets corrected, you know if Trump serves less than two years, you know in other words, uh, anytime now, <laughs> from now until uh, January 20th, twenty twenty five, if he serve, if he you know can get his presidency back for this term, he will serve less than two years. And in my reading of the twenty second amendment says he still can serve. He can he can still run in twenty twenty four. Now you know the Democrats are going to challenge it, and so so the geldings, everybody else that hates Trump, but that's my reading. You know, and it's, it doesn't exactly apply. But when they say someone else was elected president, well, the, well, Trump was elected president, but here's where it gets weird. The person who, who's uh, you know, on the record as, as winning the election is, is Brandon. So, so, is Brandon no, so, so in other words, if we can remove Brandon for fraud uh, and put a whole bunch of people in jail, then uh, the person who should be there is Trump. And because he won't have served two full years of his term that he was elected to then he should be able to run in 2024. That's my reading. And is it wishful thinking reading? Yeah, you bet. I don't care. It's the right thing to do. So, uh, but uh, I think it's a viable option. So those, these are the kind of things I want to find out about. You know, I'm sure, you know, we ask questions that I don't think anybody else does. And that, that's part of the fun of being here is being able to do those kinds of questions. So that's, that's tomorrow. And he's only here for half an hour. It's going to be, it's going to be really quick. And so we shall uh, definitely take a look uh, at that. All right. I've got uh, Diane uh, Warners coming in at 9 uh, o'clock this morning. And she'll be doing the election integrity report. Diane has worked very hard on an election integrity bill, uh, and I've sort of helped a little bit too. But uh, mostly it's, it's her. It's, she found the sections in law, you know, a lot of her ideas. I've got a couple of ideas of my own too. So it, it's sort of a joint effort, but it's mostly her. Anyway, so she'll be in at 9 o'clock, so we'll get to talk about that. Uh, 8 o'clock, I may, probably will actually replay uh, an interview I did Friday. Um, I uploaded the wrong interview. <laughs> I should have got rid of it. Uh, I I went through and carefully edited out all the commercials of our Carrie Lightfoot interview, you know, who's the well-armed woman. And I played the wrong one. I played the one with all the commercials in it. So, so from now on, what I'll do is I'll, I'll trash the one uh, with all the commercials uh, and just make sure that I upload the right one. So I've uploaded the right one this time. Uh, That's here. I can tell by the time it's like 10 minutes shorter. (laughs) So anyway, but I want to play that because I want to send this to Carrie Lightfoot. because I'd like to get her back on the show. And so I figure if I give her her old interview, uh, that's, that would be, uh, you know, say, hey, you remember us? <laughs> you know, we'll see how that goes. All right, so um, this is normally Bill Fecky's here. Bill's going to be off for a couple months, and uh, this is normally, and then the bottom of the hour is normally the time when Wendy Arthur is here, and she's going to be off for today. So it's just me. So anybody wants to call in, it's actually a pretty good day to call two one five three eight three three eight three two. All right, so and of course you got the live chat as well. I've, I've activated the live chat. That's at the bottom of your broadcast page. Uh, get yourself a free account, sign in, and away you go. Anywhere in the world that works. Still, most people are listening by um, by podcast, so that uh, that uh, live chat obviously doesn't apply in that uh, situation. Okay, so we've got we've got the title of the show today: Turbulent Skies, courtesy of Southwest, the CDC, Boeing, and the FAA. This is not a good time to fly airplanes. I mean, it's just not. You know, I mean, and I'm going to go back a little, get a little nostalgic here because I had my first airplane fight flight. Excuse me, fight. <laughs> no, I never had a fight. Uh, airplane flight uh, back in I think it was 1960 some 65, 66, like that. one of those years, uh, in, a, in a Vickers Viscount, for all of you who understand, tur- you know, turbine-powered propeller aircraft, so, and I was scared at first, I remember being scared, I remember this really well, I'm five years old, right? I remember every bit of it, right, anyway, so I'm there, and uh, I'm sitting there, and, uh, and of course, you know, the engines got loud, and we went down the runway, of course, as soon as we took off, you know, I'm like, whoa, this is great, <laughs> so my fear immediately left, because uh, once I knew what I was dealing with, and I said, yeah, I want to do this, so five years old, I decided to be an airline pilot, and spent the next uh, 40 years trying to accomplish that, uh, being stopped at every potential turn you can think of, including uh, some bad decisions of my own. But for the most part, it was just a lot of sabotage and a lot of bad events. You know, my eyesight went bad, uh, at least not good enough for a lot of airlines, some airlines, but not, not most of them. Um, and uh, even though I had a flight instructor rating, which I still have, I just renewed it. Uh, and I had, you know, more than enough hours. They kept, uh, because uh, the airlines were going broke, they laid off thousands upon thousands of pilots. So as they did that, they upped their requirements. So if you need, if you need like 500 hours today, you know, then the airlines train you the rest, you know, I had like 2,900, you know, but they they said they wanted 3,000. So it didn't matter how many hours I had, they were always, they were always moving the goalposts. And they always needed more hours. And of course that was expensive. And, you know, as the students dried up uh, because the airlines went broke in in the early 1990s uh, without students, there was no income without income. There's no extra flying beyond that. And so, uh, you know, everything stopped and you know, a lot of us had to leave uh, flight instruction and so much for our airline careers. By the time, you know, we were able to come back, you know, they, uh, it was too expensive to get, um, the flight time again to get back current again. And so a lot of us just, you know, people went back to flight instruction. I tried other things and eventually got into radio here. And with any luck, this show will be huge, and I'll get back flying again. I mean, that's part of my my goal here of being a successful entrepreneur uh, start to have some fun. And you have to have fun. You know, it's not all work. It's not all crusades. It's not all, you know, you got to keep your perspective. As I tell folks here, too, uh, and anybody that's listening, you know, keep your sense of humor. Keep your outlets. Keep your your activities going because if all you do is political work and you start getting disappointed, you're going to go crazy. And so you can't do that. So keep your perspective. Look at it like a sport. This is a game. It's us versus them. Yeah, it's deadly serious, but even, you know, yeah, I'm sure gladiators even told jokes before they went into the arena just because, you know, that, that's the really strong will is uh, when you can do that kind of stuff. All right. So the airlines. Let's talk about the airlines. uh a- Aviation, you know, if you look at aviation history, it's been really quite fascinating. In the early days, yeah, it was dangerous. You know, you're talking about uh, fabric-covered, wire-braced, wooden airplanes with unproven engines and uh, a potential, you know, lack of flight training. I mean, who taught Wilbur and Orville how to fly? Well, they did, because there's nobody else. They were the first pilots, right? So if you're the first pilot, you know, who's going to teach you how to fly? Well, nobody. You are. You have to teach yourself to fly. Same thing with action radio. There was nobody to teach me how to do action radio because I created. Now, I can teach other people how to do it, you know, but no one teaches me how to do it. I have to do – I do it myself, and I have to – and I love it. I love the challenge, believe me. You know, it's, it's fun to be like a, a Wright brother or a, or a Steve Jobs or Wozniak and try something new and different. Now, not that I'm in their league, but, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, just, I'm using the technology that's already here, but just using it new in different ways. But being a pioneer is a kick. It just is. Trust me. It's a lot of fun. Um, but uh, back in aviation, you know, the early days, they, they kind of taught themselves until the FAA established, you know, flight training criteria and safety standards and things like that. The history, unfortunately, of aviation is that the major changes usually come after accidents. People don't, don't think, uh, in government, they don't think preemptively. They don't think, uh, uh, they don't think ahead. And so one of the earliest bills I wrote, uh, which I, I wrote actually for, for Newt Gingrich, uh, was a, a Department of Innovation. And so that the government would be required with an entire de- department, uh, which I think would still save money, even though people, oh, you're creating more government, Greg. Yeah, well, I'm creating more to create less um, and to be more efficient and to do better things and uh, you know save money in the long run, uh, but also to to be on top of things. And so one of the things that the FAA could do, should do is, is be preemptive and to try and anticipate and think about the problems you know before they develop, you know before an airplane crashes, quite honestly. Um, and it's like terrorism, it's the same thing. They're, they're, they're still teching, checking shoes, okay? Well, the shoe thing, you know, worked once, and unfortunately, I caught it, so it never worked successfully. But in other words, people got onto the airplane with explosives in their shoes. They're still checking shoes. Now, I guarantee you, the terrorists are going to put them somewhere else because they're not stupid. They're dangerous, but they're not stupid. And so why was, if they know the FAA or the TSA is checking everybody's shoes, why would they ever put anything in anybody's shoes again? They're going to put it somewhere else, okay? Luggage, hair, I don't know, where, where, you know whatever they come up with. But uh, that's what they should be looking for. You know, think like a terrorist. What are they going to do? So in this case, the FAA needs to think, uh, think about what might happen. You know, what's, uh, what could possibly go wrong with the current situation of aviation? A lot. <laughs> you okay. And you know, we'll get to the COVID jab in a minute. That was the dumbest thing that uh, they ever did to pilots was, uh, was uh, require uh, a jab for something that's, uh, I mean, pilots are healthy people. They have to be. They can't fly. They have first, a first-class medical exam. It's, I've taken one. They're strict. And they have them every six months. And they make airline pilots, they used to make airline pilots retire at 60. Now, considering that I've already passed the 60 mark and I'm still, you know, bike riding, hitting the gym and doing all kinds of physical stuff, you know, uh, that that seems kind of silly to me at this point. But maybe in previous days, people didn't live as long and it, it made more sense. Now the mandatory retirement is 65. Well, I'll tell you, I hope to fly jets until I'm about 80. <laughs> so if I can fly jets from, you know, from the, for the next couple of years, you know, when I get one to about 80, I'd be happy with that. I don't have to fly it my whole life. I just have to make sure I, I do what I wanted to do with jets, which is. Yank, crank, and bank and uh, scream all over the place Do loops and rolls and wild maneuvers and, uh, you know, engage in some simulated air combat. And I'll be happy with a few years of that. It's kind of cool. I just want to know I can do it. All right. So one of those things I want to prove to myself. Anyway, back to aviation. So the story of aviation uh, is, is usually a story of something goes wrong. And that particularly is, uh, is evident in air traffic control. So in the old days, there was no air traffic control. The planes just took off you know, and they, uh, but they were slow enough and they were usually, I think, and they were unpressurized. So they were stuck at an altitude, you know, usually around 8,000 feet. Because without a pressurized cabin, you really can't go above 8,000 feet. Now, it's ironic that all the aviation, the airline cabins now are pressurized to 8,000 feet. 8,000 feet also happens to be the most efficient altitude for a piston engine airplane. In other words, a propeller airplane without turbocharging to maintain atmospheric pressure, Operates best at 8,000 feet. So all you private pilots out there, you know, you should be flying airplanes about 8,000 feet. So because of the east-west rule, that would be 9,000 feet uh, east um, eastbound and 8,000 feet or 10,000 feet westbound. So every odd altitudes are eastbound, even the altitudes are westbound, unless I forgot my piloting stuff. Anyway, but so that's how you do it. So you're flying anywhere from 9,000 feet, you're good. Uh, you know, and that's the best place for you. That's where your airplane is going to operate best. So that's where the airliners used to fly. The, the DC threes, even the DC fours, you know, I don't know if the DC sixes unpressurized. Well, the problem with flying at 8,000 feet is that's where all the weather is too. <laughs> so all your thunderstorms, you know, all the nasty stuff, and this is before radar. Right. And so airplanes, I mean, they, you know, they didn't give you a warning to fasten your seatbelt. You just knew, but I think a lot of times you didn't unfasten your seatbelt and what did they do with thunderstorms? They just flew right through them. Crazy. But they did, you know, and so you can actually fly an airliner through a thunderstorm. You just have to slow it down so that if you get an up or downdraft that is too strong that would, you know, at a faster speed damage the structure of the airplane, it makes the airplane stall. When a plane stalls, it loses all the weight on the wings, and that's actually a zero g-force. There's no force on the wings at all during a stall. So that's actually a, a safety factor that they will – you slow the plane down. They'll do this. You'll see this even today. They'll slow the planes down, and so that no matter what happens in that storm, however strong it is, that airplane's going to stall, which is not a bad thing. You just lower the nose and get the air you know, going back over the wings again. And we practice that all the time as, as – uh, uh, we, we teach our students how to do that. Um, anyway, because that's a normal – that's a safety factor. It's built into the airplane. So when you know your airplane, and, you know, like Clint Eastwood says, good man knows his limitations. You know, you know, you know how to uh, to regulate. And of course, it's dependent on the weight too. So you have to actually have to calculate the speed for those big jets. Smaller planes, eh, you can kind of guess um, based on the gross weight. All right, so so they used to fly through the thunderstorms. So so the first you know major advance uh, was radar, which was great. And then they could actually see thunderstorms on radar too. Uh, but radar also helped them see other airplanes. And so it was the beginning of air traffic. I'm not sure this is exactly accurate. Uh, but uh, this, the, the radar was one of the beginnings of both weather um, advice to pilots and tracking other airplanes. Uh, air traffic control is another thing. I mean, how did they used to track airplanes crossing the country? Well, the pilots would report their positions. <laughs> so, and then they had these little things that these little. You see some of the old, uh, uh, these Ernest, Ken, Ernest K. Ernest K. Gan movie, Fate is the Hunter. And so you'd, you'd see they would write, you know, where the airplane was on little slips of paper, and they, they'd have them in this this, this stack, literally a stack. Based on their altitude, and so they moved these uh, pieces of paper in these little plastic uh, holders, you know, up and down on this this uh, big board depending on where the pilots said they were. Well, what if the pilots weren't where they said they were? <laughs> that happened, okay. So, so this is where you had problems because pilots were reporting based on the navigational aids. They have these radio beacons on the ground where you could take a fix, kind of like an old sextant, you know, on a on a sailing ship, you know, shooting the sun. They would get their latitude, and they get their longitude by time. I'll explain that another day. But anyway, so the the ancient mariners could navigate with two really good clocks, one set to Greenwich Mean Time uh, and the other set to local time. And that's how they got their longitude. And they get their latitude by by checking the angle of the sun and looking at a chart in a book uh, to find out where they were in their latitude based on the angle of the sun at noon. And so they would call shooting the sun. So they were very accurate in their positions. They could probably get their positions within a couple of miles. You know, which is now they can do it with a couple of inches <laughs> with global positioning. But in the old days with those sailing ships, a couple of miles, you, you'd be 10 miles. You'd still be good. <laughs> you know, you can see that far. If you miss your island by 10 miles, it's, up, it's over here. You know, uh, 20 degrees to the right, Captain. Uh, yes, sir. <laughs> okay, let's go. <laughs> you know, I mean, so that's, that's how they did it. So, but that's, we na- we've been navigating, you know, the world for a long time. Anyway, so the airliners, they got bigger, they got better, they got faster. And there, were, there was, like, a horrible crash. I forgot where it was. Two propeller airplanes, one Constellation and I think another DC-6, somewhere near the Grand Canyon. And they, they ran into each other. Somebody either goofed on the reporting of the position or something went horribly wrong. And it was a clear day, too. But they just – they weren't watching. They weren't thinking. And they just – two airplanes crashed into each other, and a lot of people died. And so the FA went, whoa. <laughs> we got to take a look at this. <laughs> you know. And so that, that was the beginning of air traffic control. And then, of course, they, like I said, they got radar. They got transponders. So it actually blips on the radar, you know, your airplane identification, your altitude, your airspeed, and everything about you. So a lot of the chance has been taken out. But the problem is a lot more people are flying now. You know, the crowded skies. That's why they, they brought in the jumbos. The 747s in, in 1970 was because the 747 could take as many as uh, three 707s. All well, of you have one airplane carrying, you know, three people. there. So you have three less airplanes, two less airplanes to, uh, to track and to, to deal with and uh, the whole bit. That was the idea. But then they got even more people flying and even more 747s. But there was a difference. There was a difference in flying in the 60s and 70s. And I was a kid in those days and a teenager. But it was just, it was very different. There, weren't a, there were a lot of people flying, but the attitude was different they didn't think of an airplane as their personal, uh, you know, playroom where they could do whatever they wanted. They didn't scream and yell at other people. You know, they didn't fight. They didn't, I mean, it was very civil. I mean, airplanes were incredibly civil. It was great. Uh, And, and, you know, decent people traveling behaved decently to other decent people who were traveling. And it was kind of cool, but as the price of, uh, I guess in the eighties when they had deregulation and the price of airlines dropped precipitously, a lot of airlines went broke, TWA, Pan Am, um, Braniff, um, National, uh, Western, uh, Eastern, uh, great airlines. You know, some of these are national. Some of these other airlines, they went broke. And then the new ones came out, People's Express, uh, New York Air, some of the other ones, Piedmont, some of the regional ones. And now we have, uh, what have we got? Uh, you know, the, the, the big ones are still here, Delta, American, United. Those are still the big ones. And then you have these regional ones and different ones uh, that are out there. Um, and then you have the commuter airlines. But it's not the system it was. And it used to be regulated. When it was regulated, uh, different places were served. You know, a lot of cities were served because they needed to be served. So the airlines were regulated, and I guess the prices were regulated, and they made a profit too. I mean, the airlines were successful during regulation. So Carter, of all people, a Democrat, comes along, deregulates the airlines, and that's when we had the explosion of all these cheap fare commuter, you know, walk on. You know, uh, shuttle flights, things like that. It used to be a, a New York, Boston, New York, Washington, Philadelphia, Boston. They were shuttle. You, you, you didn't even – you just bought your ticket on the airplane. Just walked out of the airplane, right? Bought your ticket and off you go. People were commuting this way. You know, it took less than an hour from Boston to New York. So they just – you know, after work, they go to Logan and then fly to uh, LaGuardia, wherever they went. You know, and the next morning they wake up and go to the and fly to Logan, you know, do, the, do their, their lawyering or, or accounting or whatever they did. And that's how it works. Anyway, um, so the airlines grew, the system grew, and it had problems. And now uh, now something happened in the airlines about the time, I think this is probably in the 90s, and this is not really talked about too much, but the bean counters took over. And the Carl Icahn's, the arbitrageurs, you know, the, like uh, Richard Gere's character in Pretty Woman. You know, he buys companies and destroys them. Well, that's what happened to the airlines. People bought them and break them up, and they made money. Uh, And as Richard says, they created nothing, they built nothing, they did nothing. They just made money off off destruction. Well, it's kind of a horrible way to live, and it it wasn't good for American business, and it wasn't good for consumers. So the airlines pared down, they restructured, they did whatever they did. uh, And, uh, you know, and they're still flying, but it's not the same. You know, back when, when airline pilots owned airlines, you know, the airlines were much better. It's like any business. It's like when radio people are in radio instead of bean counters, you, know, you get better radio shows. And you know, when you have bean counters, you get profit. And all they care about is, is maximizing profit with the, uh, you know, the same old stuff that they think people like. That's why a lot of radio stations only play 30 songs or <laughs> whatever. You know, Well, the computer says these are the most popular songs. We play these over and over again. We don't have to play anything else. Well, it's a bunch of nonsense. We got a local radio station here, uh, and I forgot it's down in, in Fort Walton Beach that uh, that broadcast this is just, you know I think it's called the wave is you know, so that we, we broadcast new stuff we don't know what you're gonna broadcast they actually have a good variety of music and I think that that's catching on but they're they're you know satisfying the market by actually a real service you know it's like Tom Petty's song uh, the last DJ you know played what he wanted to play uh, and then it kind of disappeared all right so those so the airlines the airlines really don't own much uh, they don't own the airports they don't own the runways they lease the airplanes uh, I'm not sure what they own. They rent the gates. <laughs> I'm not sure what airline companies actually own uh, because it, nothing apparently is owned by them. The taxpayers pay for the airports, the runways, the entire FAA system, the air, con- air traffic control system, the weather system, and everything else. So the airlines are using that. All right? So the cost of your ticket does not support that. Your tax dollars do. Uh, the airlines, like I said, they, don't, they lease the airplanes. They lease the gates. I think they rent everything, and they hire the employees. <laughs> you know, so how they make money? I have no idea. But the airlines have, you know, I think uh, Warren Buffett, the airlines are basically a terrible investment, if I remember him correctly. Anyway, so now we've got a system. So let's, let's bring COVID into the picture, okay? So the worst possible thing the government could have done, it was to take healthy people that have to do critical things, you know, in an airplane where you can't pull over and ask for help. You know, the flight crew is it. <laughs> you know, the two people, it used to be three when they had a flight engineer, but now it's two people. And if something happens to those two people, there might be nobody on that airplane that knows how to fly. This is why I contend that anybody who has flight experience, that would include me, even though it's been a while, uh, but I could hop into a 737 and have a reasonable chance of landing it, especially with, you know, autopilot use and some instruction from the, the folks in the tower. And I would have no hesitation about doing that. I wouldn't, I'd just hop right in, you know, Hey, I got flight experience. You know, it'd be just by luck, some airline pilot would be on board too. Oh, let me take this, Greg. I I, uh, fly these all the time. Oh, great. Thanks. There goes my chance, right, to fly fly an airliner. Anyway, well, I'm just being selfish, but that's okay. So, but things have changed. Things have changed because the COVID jab has made a lot of pilots unsafe to fly, but they don't want to lose their career, so they're not saying anything. So they're risking their the lives of all the passengers and everybody below the airplane just so they can maintain their career. That's bad, but they should never have been put in that position and they wouldn't have been put in that position if the airlines themselves hadn't put them in that, in that position by requiring a COVID jab for, for a disease that's like a flu bug that is far, you know, that is, is nothing compared to the, the jab itself, you know. And so, so COVID is, is dangerous to a very small percentage of the population who has other problems, you know, heart disease, uh, you know, obesity, diabetes, you know, cancer, things like that. That's who has posed the greatest problem like COVID. But I'll tell you what, if you've got those things, if you're obese, you're not flying for the airlines. If you've got a heart problem, you're not flying for the airlines. Now they've got heart problems now, and this is why the airline pilots are such a good control group, because you've got people that were screened out for heart problems. They wouldn't be flying the airliners if they had heart problems. Okay, you can't do that, because you can't put those people in that position of safety in an airplane if they've got heart problems. Now they've created heart problems for their pilots, but they know if they, these heart problems show up, they're not gonna be able to fly. So the FA recently changed the uh, requirements. They lowered the standards on those EKGs. Why? Because they don't want all their pilots to be forced to be grounded and have to hire a bunch of new pilots. You know, so it, it's it, and they got to maintain the illusion that the COVID jab was a good thing. When of course we all know it's not. So this is what's going on. So the, so then they got the FAA. Well, why did the FAA allow this? Well, that they forced it. Well, I'm not sure. That's a good question. Do the FAA force the airlines uh, to require their pilots to get a jab or do the airlines do it anyway? You know, or did Fauci do it? You know, Dr. Fascist over at, uh National Institute of Health. I mean, or how, how did it come about that the airlines had to do this? So I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, it'd be something to find out. But the point is that pilots, you know, were required by their job to get a jab, uh, just like the military uh, was required. In the military was a president of order, That's different. Airlines, I'm not sure. Uh, did, they, did they voluntarily require it, did they mandate it, <laughs> or did they do it, or were they somehow by the government mandated to do it? I'm not sure. But it doesn't matter because the, the airlines still mandated, mandated their pilots to get the jab. And this is where the problem comes in, too. And then you got the story of Southwest, which is the most mismanaged airline out there. It used to be a great airline. You know, when it was at Kelleher that started it, you know, way back when, it was a great airline. You know, it was low cost. It was fun. You know, you, you hopped on board. You, the, no seats were assigned. It was like, you know, scramble for you. It's pretty crazy, actually. Uh, scramble for the seats and uh, away you go. And it was, you know, and people enjoyed Southwest. But man, you know, now, but they got old technology. They never invested in their computers. They never invested in their infrastructure. And they never did anything to to update the airline. Well, then, so then, and then we got the CDC. And we got, so see, I've covered the FAA. We'll cover the FAA in a bit. Uh, but the CDC, the requirement of, uh, you know, either or just the, the suggestion, the the guidelines, you know, which which people took as mandates, which they weren't. Well, you better get vaccinated because otherwise you're all going to drop dead. And you better get vaccinated to protect everybody else. You better get vaccinated against people without symptoms, you know, asymptomatic. Well, none of that was true. So the CDC is guilty too. So, so I would put, God forbid, don't, please don't have an airplane crash. But if it does, I know where the blame is. It's going to be on the CDC. It's going to be on the, the, you know, the, the health folks. It's going to be on the airlines that required it. It's going to be on the pilots that did not ground themselves after taking something that they shouldn't have taken. You know, it's about the doctors that let them fly. It's about the FAA that changed the standards. I mean, there's going to be a lot of blame to go around here. It, it, they say it takes seven events uh, to create an accident, to create a tragedy. And seven bad decisions, seven events in a chain. It takes about, this is what the, the, the people that do disaster analysis, this is what they say. And so where, where were the decisions? I can probably think of a bunch of them right now. Uh, one. The whole pandemic, you know, imposing COVID upon us after gain-of-function research, you know, in order to uh, either as a bioweapon to take out a whole bunch of Americans, uh, as a way to steal the election from Trump is a bunch of things. Whatever happened, the, the, the decision to, to uh, you know, infect us with COVID is like the first in a, in a long chain of bad events. Second one was to declare an emergency. Uh, And after that, it was uh, the the guidelines that, you know, you have to get vaccinated. And then the the third would be the lies, all the lies that surround COVID, you know, that uh, that asymptomatic, you know, people without symptoms can transfer it. They can't. Peter McCullough just told us about that. Uh, The lies that, uh, you know, the jab is safe and effective. It's not. We all knew it wasn't. Uh, The COVID is deadly, dangerous disease. Uh, That's not true either. Over 99% of the population, you know, got at worst moderate symptoms, you know, me included. Uh, And so all these things are lies. And so that's another chain of events. So then the chain of event becomes the pilot on the day with the airplane to make the decision to go fly when they don't feel well. <laughs> you know, So all these things are going to happen. Let's just bring in Pianchi. He's uh, you know, a fellow pilot. Uh, and so, so I'm doing a little analysis here. i got all these articles I've been reading. Pianchi, how am I doing so far?
2: You're doing pretty good, Steffa. I was traveling the east, and I had the duck barely clear the plane. Over my head that was traveling west, or so one of us was too low, or, or too high, or too high, or too low. But I'm here. Yeah, well, I
1: was talking about. Yeah, but uh, it's interesting. You do the the, uh, the and I've had that happen too. I've had pilots that either aren't reading their altimeters, have their autopilot set off, forgot to check their altimeter settings. Stuff happens. That's why you'd be looking out the window. But if you're if you're opposing an airplane, your closing speed, even if each airplane's doing 150 knots, that's over 300 knots of closing speed, up to moderately, you know. Uh, powerful airplanes but if you get faster airplanes at 200 knots then you're talking about a 400 knot closure stuff happens really fast up there and, and people don't realize uh and i've had i've seen i've had airplanes come close to me uh and it's just it, as a flight instructor it's just a normal course of business you know you just it's the day of the office anyway so but we do have the rules the east west rules but things can go wrong with that too um so I made a little off on my air traffic control history. So if you have anything to add to that, uh, please feel free. But I want to get into uh, uh, Boeing, the 737 MAX, uh, the FAA, and everything else here. And uh, so, yeah, please, any, any comments further, let me know.
2: Well, you know, you have to take your head off to the FAA. They are pretty good. You know, you can uh, pretty much rest assured on um, – the things that they have in place as far as safety is concerned, of course, a controller would be fast to tell you that it's, net, it's not their job to keep you from having running into the ground. It's their job to prevent you from running into the aircraft presently. But uh, hmm. they do – there are some things that slip by, though, Greg.
1: Oh, I know. I've, I've Listen, I had a plane cleared to land on top of me. Uh, I was in uh, a Cessna 310 in Oakland. And I was uh, doing some multi-engine training and there was a Gulfstream cleared to land behind me. So I, I uh, you know, I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> that's a, I look at the student. I said, that's our runway. What are you going to do? Uh, uh, uh. So I grabbed the throttles, t- took us off the runway. And the, the pilot said, uh, Gulfstream, go around. There's traffic on the runway. And I, I, I called in. I said, sir, we've moved. <laughs> We're off the runway now. Gulfstream can land. And the Gulfstream was like, it's too late. We're already going around. And so, uh, but I didn't, you know, I didn't need permission from the tower to take my airplane off the runway to avoid a potential collision with a Gulfstream, you know? And so there are times when pilots just have to act.
2: Because everybody said anything. Because yeah. It's the right you, thing to do. No matter what you, no matter mm-hmm. what you told, you got to provide your own level of safety. It's always yeah. good to repeat and repeat and repeat. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's way you live to see another day. And others too.
1: Yeah, I'm still here. You know, but what's interesting is that uh, people think when, when, when someone, and this is something that you have to tell students too, that when the tower says you are cleared for takeoff, that's not permission to take off. What they're saying is if you're going to take off now, it's still the pilot's decision. They can still say, no, I changed my mind, going home. You know, uh, they don't have to take off, you know, but if they want to take off at that moment, the runways are clear and it's safe for them to do so. That's all the controllers are saying. But you fly the airplane. And so there's a, there, you know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, things about that, that you know, the LA guys, they understand this too. Uh, and people have taken action. I, in fact, I've had to call a tower. I had to cont- call an approach control. This is, we are on an IFR flight plane. I said, uh, cause they were handling other traffic. I said, I think you forgot us. You know, I said, and there's a mountain out here. And we're in the clouds. <laughs> there's like 4,000 foot, you know, Mount Diablo in the San Francisco Bay area. And we were at 3,000 feet. I said, uh, I'm not, you know, and it, we didn't have DME, which is distance measuring equipment. We knew where we were, but we didn't know exactly where we were. We knew we were in the clouds. Uh, so, oh, yeah, uh, you know, turn 20 degrees to the left, uh, you know, continue. He was like, okay, fine, direct to Concord or wherever we were flying. Uh, thank you. <laughs> so they'll forget you, too. you got to keep watching. You can't trust the controllers. But a lot of times, more often than not, they'll save your butt. They will keep you from doing something stupid. And so controllers are my best friends. That and mechanics.
2: Well, yeah. And so anyway. The power has got to make. Good decision. I'm not Mm -hmm. going to say that's how, but, uh, you know, Kobe Bryant got killed in a helicopter uh, accident, and uh, they were flying under some very, very uh, challengeable conditions, especially when you can't see where the hell you're going. Yeah,
1: I think uh, there's, uh, there's some kind of celebrity power. There was a singer who was very young, uh, Ayala? was that who it was or maybe someone else anyway she died in an airplane accident uh, in the Caribbean but uh, she showed up with all her amplifiers and equipment and, and the pilot said oh, that's too much weight I can't take all that and she's like yes, yes you can <laughs> we have to be in such and such so and so and the pilot went along with it and of course they ended up crashing and killing everybody on board Kobe Bryant I'm, I'm guessing I'm guessing you know the same thing star power well I got my daughter here I want to take her for a flight what's your problem let's go Mm-hmm. The pilot said, "I don't know what the pilot said." So well, you
2: know you know that case, example, but, you yeah. know, if fog comes in off the ocean, mm-hmm. hey, I would have sat down on, I would have sat down on a target lot or more closely follow the highway. But you know, everybody follows the highway when they can not fly mm-hmm. at the altitude they want to. So no, if, I just, yeah. sometimes it's best to just say no.
1: Yeah, pick a parking lot, you know, pick a, pick a mall shopping, shopping mall with, uh, and go to the furthest extent of the parking lot where nobody parks. <laughs> you know, go there. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do. We, we practice precautionary landings, but pilots, they're not really taught to make good decisions all the time. They, well, they're taught in a simulation, in a controlled environment. And, and for those that uh, don't know, a lot of times uh, an instructor or an examiner will pull the throttle back. They'll take your power off when you're, you know, across from your landing spot, or what we call a beam in the numbers of the runway. Well, the chance of an airplane having a, a loss of an aircraft engine at that particular moment is infinitesimal. It's going to happen somewhere else. So I'll just pull the engine in flight. <laughs> okay, now what are you going to do? You know, and they're like, oh, no. You know, and so, well, okay, let's we'll get the nose down, you know, look around for a landing spot, and then we'll go through our checklist and you know, be very methodical about it. But here's my question, though. Let's talk about the decision that pilots are making. They want to keep their airline career. They don't want to lose their job. <clears throat> and they don't want to report that they have heart problems. That's a bad decision. So they're they're putting their career above the safety of themselves and all their passengers on board and everybody below that airplane. That is a problem. I don't care how much they love their career. But there's a the, you know, and the airline and the FAA has lowered the standards. For you hear about the FAA has changed the standards for heart uh, heart rates and things.
2: No, I, I haven't heard that. I knew that the, that was a call out several years ago that they was going to be short sure that. In the industry, about four hundred thousand pilots, mm-hmm. military about twelve thousand, and I have witnessed some uh, activities privately where they're trying to recruit. But uh, I don't know why they would lower the standards. What would be a standard for a, a heart?
1: Well, let me see if I can find it here. I've got uh, I've got a bunch of, of flight articles here. Right, let me see. I've got like uh, my Boeing. We haven't talked about Boeing yet. The seven thirty seven. We could get to that too. Southwest meltdown. See, this is my article. I've got so many different articles here. Uh, a lot of Steve Kerr stuff.
2: Uh, but I don't know why they would lower yeah. standards when the whole purpose is to uh, protect lives and uh, both in the aircraft and also, like you may mention, those on the ground.
0: Well, I don't know why they would
2: either, but they did. I'm going to have to go to Facebook and find it. I know I've got
1: it here. I've been trying to cut down on my articles so I don't have too many of them so that my, my signal is, is, is good. And it's actually working out pretty well. So I'm going to have to go to uh, Facebook and find that article. So well, there's so
2: many things that, that go mm-hmm. on nowadays that don't make sense. You know, we, we complain about uh, how a homeowner can be in the house, their home, and an intruder come in, and if they <laughs> use deadly force, then all of a sudden they're questioned. Well, hell, Mike Tyson was on an aircraft. Uh, he was getting off, and one of the passengers was heckling him, and I think he even touched him, and Mike Tyson punched him. He Went to yeah. court, and he said he had a right to protect yourself. Well, why come? That right he, don't apply to you when you're home.
1: He did more than that. I mean, that the person was was harassing him, was goading him on. He wasn't just. This was Mike Tyson. Didn't just react, you know, crazy. You know, this is something that uh, that you know, this person brought on himself. Okay, let's see if I find an yeah. article. What the- yeah. uh, here we go. Uh, oh no, this is this is a different one. This is another Steve Kirsch article. Let's see if it has it in there. But I know he has one on the FAA. So this is one and it's it's uh one i had covered earlier uh faa has oh here we go very quietly and tacitly admitted that the ekgs that's the that's the heart measurement of pilots are no longer normal we should be concerned very concerned uh, he's got updates got different things there he's the vaccines are the leading cause of coincidences it seems i just received this note from john lamb he says steve i'm a 66 year old commercial aviator with no previous heart problems on january 6 my first class medical was deferred due to a second AV block. I'm not sure what that is. Mobitz type 2. Uh, that's from the EKG. He says, I received both Moderna injections, uh, no booster. I am an ex-endurance athlete, road bike racer. I do not have or have not taken any routine medication. I'm awaiting an appointment with a cardiologist. He says, coincidentally, my wife suffered a severe heart attack in May 2021, eight days after her first Moderna injection. She has no previous history of heart problems. Okay, this is the one that talks about the FA. Changing the standards. Let me see if I can find that one too. Because I know I've got it, uh, but there's just there's so much, uh, so many things out there. Do, 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 do. No, it's not here. It's probably somewhere. It's probably in one of my other. Let me, let's check special investigations. Anyway, but the point is that uh, somebody required, you know, in the airlines. Now, were the, were the airlines required to do this um, by mandate? Did the FAA say you cannot let airline pilots fly without the jab? Or did the airlines voluntarily voluntarily say, We're gonna make sure all our pilots have the jab, you know, per C D C guidelines, which suggests that everybody get it. I think it was more that the airlines did it than the than the uh the government mandated. It. I don't think they could mandate it.
2: I don't know. I know yeah. you know, back in the day all you had to do was bend over and cough. But I don't <laughs> know.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Well, yeah, uh, checks are a little bit different. I remember, um, you know, back, you know, I had physicals all the time, you know, because I was a flight instructor. I used to get first class, you know, a couple of times just because I want to make sure that I'd be, you know, fit for the airlines. I didn't know that my eyesight was going to take a bit of a tumble. Anyway, um, so it's there. But the thing is that the airlines have required this and they did it. I don't know why they did it. Maybe they got money. Maybe they were paid off. But the point is they did it. And, and you know, most of the, if not all the airline pilots flying today. Have been jabbed i don't know if i want to go on an airplane with with uh, you know someone that had a COVID jab that's a problem yeah,
2: especially if, <laughs> especially if the co-pilot and pilot both pass out you know they don't have navigators no more so yeah, union, i guess you get to get one that's gorgeous just a the plane
1: well, that, well that's why i said you know anybody with flight experience that'd be you and me needs to tell the the cabin crew say hey by the way just in case you know, I, I I was, you know, I was, I'll tell them I was a flight instructor. So if you need me, let me know, <laughs> you know, um, and I, I sort of joke about that,
2: but I you know, I know other people
1: that, that hey, do this that.
2: this a 737, I'm bailing out. I ain't going to try to land that bad boy. <laughs> oh, I
1: am. I'd love to land a 737. <laughs> First of all, it's probably got an auto land. Get it on the, the ground. ground
2: anyway. just going to stop.
1: It. Nah, just, just flare a little bit higher. You can do it. You know, just find the biggest runway you can and, uh, have somebody talk you down. Get your speed. You remember bright. that picture
2: with Denzel Washington flying upside down? I could just see you now. I'm not
1: going to fly an airliner upside down. That's stupid. <laughs> That's the movies. They don't do well upside down. And why did he do that anyway? I've, I've seen that picture, but it's been a while. Why was he flying upside down?
2: I don't know. I closed
1: my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've done aerobatics. I love aerobatics. It's it's fun. I've been up in a Stearman, uh, but I've I've done uh, – I was a passenger at that one, but I, I was up in a pit. You know, those little red – everybody see the Red Devils, those little red airplanes
2: that you see yep, at the air show, so I've had biplanes.
1: Pits. Have you flown in a pits?
2: No. Oh, oh man! Feel like a pit, pit snap your head off, you
1: know? You're no, 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 no. It's no, that nah. You just relax and go with it. Now your your muscles. Co- you, you see, this is the thing, though. This is why roller coasters make people sick because they're not ready for the motion. But if you're if you're flying and you're doing the loops and rolls yourself, you you know your body. You you send a message to your body of what's going to happen, and you just go with it. Loops are kind of cool, actually. They're really pretty to hang upside down, especially the top of the loop when you're upside down. And you're kind of in that zero G for, for uh, uh,
2: just a tiny little bit. Yeah, they're good for shaking up your stomach like a milkshake. You have to no, be no, right. You no, no, no. So see, here's not. the secret, though.
1: See, so the secret is you can't tense up. Now, say I want to go for a Blue Angels ride, right? But I have, uh, but, you know, I will be as relaxed as you can possibly imagine. i just put my head back against the seat. This is what I did in the steerman, my first aerobatic ride. I'm just going to completely relax and just see what happens. And I was. I was relaxed. And because I was relaxed I never got sick. So every time the pilot, uh, who was a great pilot, you know, flipped me all over the place. I can't tell you what we did. All I know is the world kept, you know, running around the airplane in several different angles. And every time he stopped and, and looked at me and I look in the mirror and go, thumbs up, let's do more. He's like, oh, no. <laughs> okay. But because I was so relaxed, I felt fine. I hopped off the airplane. So that was great. And my friends were there. I so I can't believe what you guys were doing up there. I said, yeah, wasn't it cool? <clears throat> and then I went to flight school to become an instructor but I wanted to make sure that I was never going to be afraid uh, with a student, whatever they did to me in an airplane. And, and I wasn't just because I, you know, I'd taken that flight. and I sort of like, you know, uh, inoculated myself uh, against, you know, future fear because I already been upside down and sideways and, you know, spun and looped and rolled and cubinated and, you know, everything else we we could think of straight up, straight down, you know, zero G six G's. We did it all. It's great. Okay.
2: Um whenever you know, whenever, you're, when you, whenever you land, all your students, the first place they hit it was the bathroom. But the- well,
1: that's they drink too much coffee. But that's a different story. And I keep telling my <laughs> students, don't drink coffee. Save your coffee for after the lesson. Then go drink coffee. Don't drink before my lesson. If that's what they're thinking of, then that's a problem. All right. So let me um, – well, actually, I can probably talk about these more than just read the articles. Reading articles is boring. But there is a problem with airplane design. And uh, you remember the 757? You are flying one of those? No, I don't remember them. Ah, oh, beautiful airplane. It was the sports car of the air. It was overpowered. It could do anything. Let's see if I can find my article on this. This one actually is a good one. Uh, well, oh, here we go. So this is this is from a pilot. So we are flying here for a little bit, folks. Oh, so hopefully you can all hang with me. But the 737 was originally a very small airplane. Uh, it was smaller than the 727. It had two engines, two little turbojet engines that were kind of snuck up under the wing, not these big hulking fan jets that are hung under it, but it had two little engines snuck up under the wing It carried maybe 90, maybe 100 passengers, maybe, probably more like 80 or 90. It was meant for short hauls, you know, little hops. The next biggest plane was the 727, which was a three-engine plane, three engines in the tail, and then you had the 707, which is a four-engine jet. That's the one that did the intercontinental uh, you know, flights all over the world. So that's how it went. So those are the three basic airliners of Boeing, and then the 747 came out, uh, and that was the big jumbo jet, and that was 1970. And of course, that was the one that, uh, you know, brought a lot of aviation to people because you could take, you know, up to 400 people in one airplane. Okay, so so then they still figured the airlines figured in the 70s and 80s, uh, maybe 80s and 90s that they needed uh, like middle jets. They needed jets that were big enough. Um, to a whole, whole lot of people, a couple hundred people, two, 250 people, but not so big. They couldn't get into the smaller airports and weren't efficient. And the three-engine jets, uh, the four-engine jets were the least efficient, uh, so they had to be full to make money. But they did. You know, the, the, the 747s flying from New York to London, you know, made a lot of money. Um, but uh, but the other ones, you know, not so much. That you, you didn't want to have a 747 flying from, you know, New York to Baltimore. Because <laughs> that'd be a total waste of money. Uh, you have a small jet for that. Anyway, so... Um, the middle jets, the 757 and the 767, came out, I think, in the 80s. These are really cool. They were mid-sized jets. 767 was the bigger of the two. That would do, uh, like, Hawaii, LA, Hawaii, San Francisco. So they could fly a long distance, but they, they only held about two 250 people. 757 was, the, was the more the local airplane, but it also did international flights, too. So 757 was a twin-engine, narrow-body, 200-seat um, airplane, maybe. Anyway, he said, that, so the person who wrote this, uh, Patrick Smith, pilot, uh, and he says, uh, I'm I'm depressed. Uh, let me tell you who wrote this. Uh, November eighth of two thousand nineteen. So he says, I'm depressed. I'm depressed because the word on the street is that Boeing will not be moving forward with its so-called new midsize airplane, or NMA, also known as the seven ninety seven. That's the rumor at any rate. See, I still never heard of the 797 until I read this, right? It says, if built, the 797 would bridge the range and capacity gap between the narrow-body 737 family and the much larger 787 and 777, a slot occupied by the now geriatric 757 and 767. He says, the concept was formally unveiled at the Paris Air Show. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. This is back about 15 years ago. Boeing made a decision to make its popular 757 uh, as may had to oh, – let me start again. Back about 15 years ago, Boeing had a decision to make. Its now it's popular 757 was getting long in the tooth. In other words, old. <laughs> Orders were drying up, and the company would need to develop a replacement. This wouldn't be easy because the 757 was and still is a very special machine. He says, I may be biased since I fly it, but you might undoubtedly call it the most versatile jet airliner uh, Boeing has ever built. It's a medium capacity, high-performance airplane able to turn a profit on both short and long-haul routes domestic or international, across the Mississippi or across the North Atlantic. And along the way, it meets every operational challenge. Short runway, stiff headwinds, full payload, no problem. With 180 passengers, this plane can safely depart from a short runway, climb directly to cruise altitude, and fly clear across the country or the ocean. Nothing else can do that, and it's a great-looking airplane to boot. So this is the question I have. The bean counters have taken over aviation. They've taken over Boeing. Boeing doesn't make the 707 or the 747. It doesn't make airplanes that look good. It makes airplanes that fit the bean counter role. So rather than put new engines on the 757s or upgrade them, or rather than come up with a new mid-sized airplane, they took something that was small and they keep trying to make it bigger. You know, this one airline. And they had problems, the 737 MAX. You know, two of them crashed. We reported on that earlier. You know, the Justice Department has a lawsuit against Boeing for fraud, for falsifying their test results on the 737 MAX when all they had to do was either keep the 757, put some new engines on it, redesign an airplane just like it, with the same power-to-weight ratio, same capacity, and they would have been fine, but they didn't do that. The bean counters decided they could keep morphing their already established 737 and keep it going. And that, I believe, was a tragic mistake.
0: Pianchi?
2: Well, I can't, <clears throat> I can't comment on the reasoning. But uh, we know that the problem did exist. It was in the news. There was some calamity behind. It, but uh, unfortunately, this is what happens. So what happened to aviation?
1: You know, you you remember flying? Like I remember flying thirty, forty years ago. Uh, the passengers were nice. You know, um, you know the schedules are pretty good. When airlines were regulated, they flew to places. Everybody got served, somewhat. You know, not like now, like the hub and spoke system. You know, you didn't have to go from a commuter to a regional to a major airline. You know, the airlines handled, you know, most of the cities. Uh, it was a much more civil process. And now, I don't know, it's like a free-for-all. <laughs> it's like entering a stadium where there are no assigned seats. Everybody gets to free-for-all and sit where they want. Well, Southwest is doing that. So the airlines aren't what they used to be. Something has gone wrong. The airlines are what they used to be. The FAA is uh, allowed the COVID jab when they never should have done that. They should have tested it themselves. Well, here's the thought, too. Does, does the FAA have an independent uh, flight testing service or flight surgeon?
2: I mean, who makes the well, recommendations? I would imagine. I don't know if they contract for that or not, Greg. Uh, hey, I remember a time you didn't have, we didn't have a license when we flew. So that, that was a long, long time ago. But
1: that, well, I don't remember that. That was before my time.
0: Well you know, yeah.
2: I, I well, you could get in a plane and fly, you know, even you a buddy or something like that, but uh
0: uh-huh.
2: a, a lot of regulations have put uh hobbies and stuff like that out of the reach of the common person. Which yeah. is cost prohibitive.
1: Well, you know, I if actually wrote a want... bill on the, the re- revitalization of general aviation. We need to bring aviation back. We need to we need to make it affordable for people to be able to fly.
2: Well, I don't know how they would ever do it. Because, you know, the, the cost of planes, uh, then you've got the, the planes have to be equipped with the warning system. You know who you are, where you're at. It's just uh, cost prohibitive. If you own on a plane today, anything of any appreciable size, you need to incorporate that with a business so that some of the costs can be deferred.
1: Well, owning an airplane is a whole different thing, but, you know, you can go through, as a private pilot, you can rent airplanes and do pretty much anything you want. Yeah, but it's
2: expensive as heck.
1: Is it cheaper to own one?
2: Cheaper to own one, learn how to fly.
1: Well, I'm going to find out because I hope to be an aircraft owner, but I want a jet, so I'm I'm a little different. You know how much ground
2: school was when I flew? $400. Uh,
1: Yeah. I actually never took around 40, school from my property. $40 an hour wit. Yeah.
2: How much was it? It includes the plane and the pilot. $40 an hour wit.
1: When you started flying?
2: Yeah. That was back in the 70s. <clears throat> but now it's, I don't know where it's at now. What, about 200 my grandson is getting ready to uh, go off into that. And, you know, we have to do some looking and seeing what's the best thing to do. With But uh, I guess... A, the is probably would, about $110, $120 an hour.
1: Uh, I don't know what it is. Let me tell you what it was when I started flying. I started uh, flying in, in uh, 1972. You know, I had uh, actually my first flight in Australia. When I got to the United States, I, I went out to my local flying school and, and convinced the school to let me fly. I'm like, you know, 12 years old. I got a bicycle, you know, rode out to the airport because I couldn't drive yet, right? And so I brought the permission papers home and uh, – reluctantly my folks find them. Uh, father was okay with it. my mother. She didn't want me to learn how to fly. So she was kind of, she was the, the no in the family anyway. Um, but, uh, when I, you know, when I started flying, it was $17 an hour. That was 12 for the airplane and five for the
0: instructor.
2: Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think one of the first planes I was in was probably a 48 cents. And, uh, and then, of course, 172s and that, but it was about $40 an hour wet at that time. Yeah. It's $1,600, yeah. well, let's see, 40 uh forty four sixteen hundred $2,000 dollars you have your life if yeah. you was uh, astute.
1: Hmm. So you probably had your, um, you probably started flying after the first oil embargo. See, I started flying when gas was $0.25 cents a gallon. No,
2: I started before.
1: Oh, okay. So forty dollars an hour you must have a bigger airplane. In, yeah. The one fifties the one fifties were twelve bucks an hour, if I remember. Yeah, that's that was you well, know, money back one then. of them
2: and, Yeah. I flew in one of them in uh right there at uh the, you know Missouri borders, Illinois. Uh-huh. And across the uh the uh, McKinley Bridge there was the uh a powerhouse. It had about mm. three stacks. And we actually flew across those stacks, and the hot air coming out those stacks, we stood still. <laughs> <laughs> we stood oh, we perfectly still. Perfect <laughs> and then you okay. wondered, oh my goodness, what am I going to do now?
1: Well, we 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 had some fun too. We're going to tell flying stories. I'm going to take a break in a minute here, but uh, I remember with uh, with instructor, I used to do this with students too. Is if we ever flew in a day with a really high wind. You know, if you had like a 30, 30 knot wind, or it be about 35 miles an hour or more, uh, we'd, we'd hop about, you know, 500 feet away from a road, maybe 1,000, probably 1,000 feet. And we we're close enough people could see us, right? And we'd slow down as slow as the airplane could go, flying into the wind. And sometimes we're actually flying boards. <laughs> That's what it seemed like. We're basically hovering in the sky. We'd freak people out. And uh, especially yeah, if, yeah. if you're on a rural road where there's nothing around, you can get down to 500 feet, as long as you're 500 feet from an obstruction, 1,000 feet over an urban area. So you're down about 500 feet. You know, away from the runway, uh, away from the roadway, and just kind of fly really slowly.
0: <laughs> it was fun. Yeah,
1: you know, ground reference maneuvers. Yeah, but I part don't of my know, training. Okay, fine. What about gliders?
2: What huh? it, What has happened to gliders? Uh, you know, that was very popular. I think it still is in certain areas uh, of the country. Oh, I've got a couple hours in gliders.
1: I love gliders. I would love to do more flying in gliders. When I did my glider flying, uh, that was in uh, Fremont, California. Uh, they used to have a glider port. Now, that's gone now. But uh, Fremont, uh, it's between Oakland Airport and San Jose Airport. Uh, used to, and there's another airport there, too, uh, Reed Hillview. But they've got, I've flown in there, too. I think I've flown all the Bay Area airports except, you know, SFO. <laughs> you know, and, and Oakland on the, on the general aviation side, not, not the big. Well, I actually did land on the big runway once during a flight test. But that was, I had an FAA examiner on board, and he insisted. So, okay, you know, whatever. Um, but, uh, but glider, have you been up on a glider? Have you done any glider flying? No, sir, you should try it. gliders are a kick. The hardest part no, is there on the tow plane. The tow plane's the tough part once once you release the rope, it's like freedom. Hey, this is great. There's only one problem mm-hmm. <laughs> There's only you're only you're only going one direction vertically <laughs> down <laughs> unless you get a thermal you know you get like a like a charge you know to get you uh, back up again.
2: Thermals are a kick, okay, you got the mm-hmm.
0: hmm? yeah.
2: Fun. have the thermal. But I don't yeah. I don't care for flying like that. Uh you know those experimental different. aircraft and uh coppers and I don't care for that. So, no, uh, I don't know. What's I love these other yeah. the kite with the motor on the back of your back?
1: huh. I've done that too. I've done a I've done a uh glider. Uh, what they call it. A, a trike. I've got a, I do a trike flight. I did a birthday trike flight. You know, I'm sitting in there, I'm sitting mm-hmm. on the fuel tank, the props right behind me. Uh, the, the wing is overhead, and my my, uh, my pilot in front, who because I I wasn't qualified trick pilot but anyway, but flew me all over the place. It was great. We were we 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 had our toes ripping through the grass at one point. We were, we were kicking grasshoppers at about eighty miles an hour, <laughs> you know. And then we but flew yeah, back you up. you to run uh, to get it up. No, no, we did. We Took it off on a runway. It was fine. You know, and we or we'd get to a thousand feet. Yeah. But there's nothing to hang on to. You're out in the breeze. It's like sitting on a park bench without. Uh, you know, it's like sitting on I don't know. It's like sitting on a stool or something. But because there's nothing around you.
2: It's a, it's a weird feeling. But anyway, yeah, I've been up at that. I've been up but before. those are cool because, you know, the ones nowadays you can just land on your target lot, mm-hmm. take everything off, go in the shop, drink some coffee, eat some donuts, come back out, strap up, and then uh, take off, fly back home.
1: Would you fly a drone? If you had like a drone, especially an autopilot? You know, put hey, your well, coordinates you, in
2: you there and something. I have a lot of interest in' curiosity in and I think and that's gonna be the thing too that's gonna to be the next thing uh-huh. it's gonna offer uh, it's gonna offer entrepreneurs uh, possibilities it's gonna be uh-huh. uh possibilities for uh, support and resources so that's gonna be the next thing. they're gonna vector the skies probably along the uh same parallels as your major uh streets, but you're gonna have your left for going and coming. And then people veer off on the side the street and land where you're gonna land. Yeah,
1: it's gonna be interesting. But the future of aviation. Um, well, well, come back and we'll, we'll. I'll take a break here and we can come
2: back. And I wouldn't go I up in no. Uh, I wouldn't go up in no battery powered planes either. <laughs> Well, the question is, how safe
1: are the skies now? We've got problems. We've got uh, airlines that are mismanaged. We've got Southwest that never updated their computers. We've got uh, airline pilots that have received a COVID shot, which we know is dangerous. Uh, We've got passengers that are unruly. We've got, you know, Karen's up there screaming at people to put their mask on. You know, you've got bosses up there thinking they can do anything. People are getting pilots. Passengers are getting violent. Up there in the airplanes, no place to get violence, no place for, for that. You've got uh, all the illegal alien terrorists that are now in the country that could be boarding these airplanes. You've got, a, I think, got a much more dangerous situation flying today than we did, you know, certainly 20 years ago. Uh, even with the updates in technology, that's not the problem. I and mean, the FAA hasn't figured, hasn't dealt with this problem. And the TSA, you know, they're not watching. They're, you know, they're, they're letting everyone into the country, you know, and you've got to, so you've got pilots that are jabbed. You've got an FAA that's not watching, <laughs> you know, you, that's lowering the heart standards. You know, you've got Southwest mismanaging, and you've got Boeing, that's building, uh, this building that's uh, giving fraudulent test results on their airplanes. This is not a good situation.
2: Well, you know, another you problem all... is you got pilots with, uh, from other countries with these accents, and uh, they use of the words. So you have to be careful. It's a lot to repeat that, repeat that with uh, them not to be uh, making fun, but it's just, you know, I could, I could listen to you. But mm-hmm. uh, you don't have – if you had somebody that came from Republic side, it's going to be difficult.
1: Well, see, all pilots, international pilots, are required to speak English. And, and that's one of the problems is that uh, – and the training centers, a lot of pilots – a lot of airlines train their pilots in the United States because it's cheaper to fly here than their country. You know, as expensive as it mm-hmm. is here, it's more expensive. You know, Europe it's really expensive to fly because they tax their gasoline. The gasoline tax is so high, so aviation gasoline tax – is probably uh, you know ten fifteen dollars a gallon equivalent European for what might be six to eight dollars a gallon here, just because of the tax. You know, so that's mm-hmm. a problem too. So, but we here's the thing: the, the problem with aviation is we need to make it more accessible for more Americans, so we can enjoy it as as, as private pilots. We need to have a, a pool of people they're they're training because the military is not training on as many pilots because uh, the airplanes are getting too expensive. They're going to go more and more to drones. There'll be fewer positions in the military. And, and plus, they're going to be automated. They'll be automating the transports, and they'll be automating uh, the fighters with drones. So the military's
2: not going to turn out. Well, you will. Uh, I think that the young pilots should start off, stay away from the glass cockpits. They should uh, learn with the old steam gauges, VORs,
1: VR, and well, still VORs because whatever well, But if you never, if you're never going to use them, if you're, if you're destined for the airlines. You know, unless, and if you're, if you're, it's like stick shift cars. They make automatic transmissions for everybody. Most people now can go through their entire lives never driving a stick shift car. I happen to love driving a stick shift car because it's more interesting. You know, so I seek them out. Unfortunately, there's still some companies making them. But uh, the well, same the thing with, uh, Your mm-hmm.
2: automatic transmission, boy, if you're already on the ground.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I know that. But what I'm saying is that for pilots to learn old instruments, the, the old, uh... You know, vacuum electric uh, gyro instruments, uh, and then go to it. well. We see a glass cockpit folks. That's like a computer screen, and so all your instruments are displayed on a computer screen. Now they also have a heads up display. They'll display it on the canopy in front of you. You can actually look out for other airplanes and read your right. altitude and you know do directions and things like that's that. It's
2: Cheating if you're doing uh, your you doing your instrument rating. it's cheating if it's on your uh, heads up display. You know,
0: oh, you, I don't know how they you do it already now.
2: They put a hood over you, and all thing you could see was the gauges. And I'm not saying that that should be. I think that the principles behind it, which is incorporated in the GPS instrumentation and so on, you, these basic principles on how to the plot and how to determine your airspeed and, and all those that needs to be known. How for a person need to know how to do that. Mm-hmm. See, I don't know with a glass cockpit whether you can simulate
1: you know, partial engine or partial instrument failures. That's another thing, too. No, I, I mean, I grew up with the original instruments. I don't know how to fly a glass cockpit. It, they came in after I, uh, the after I got out of it.
2: Yeah. The, oh. the hell, is Gorman. Well, Gorman mm-hmm. 650, the top of the line, is probably $10,000, if not more.
1: Yeah, but if you're buying a, a $200,000 airplane, then that's not that big of an expense.
2: No, it's not. But people in the one seventy two, the one eighty two, like to have that. Well,
1: but but there's so many general aviation airplanes out there with the old instruments that if if you're going to fly, if you're going to fly the less expensive airplanes, then you're going to be using the older instruments anyway. You're just going to learn how to use them. You know. So we need to boost aviation. We need to get more people flying. Uh, We used to have a lot more pilots in this country, but again, it was cheaper, it was easier. You didn't have so many requirements for air traffic control. The airspace was much more open. And so the question is, how much of the airspace is restricted because the FAA wants control and how much because it's genuine safety concern? They could probably open up some of that airspace.
2: Well, you can see that with drones and the license. Anytime that drone leaves the ground, you're in FAA control. And uh, the requirements that they're putting on those, collision avoidance lights that you can see up to I think. Um, two miles, I believe it is.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You're restrictions on your height. You shouldn't be flying over people. Yep. Then you got the, you got the you, you gotta have the insurance. You can't fly over highways. Okay. So well, I think we've the, covered
1: the uh, I think we've covered the problems with aviation. And I think the ones that, the only ones I could probably emphasize more. And I think I talked about the Boeing problem earlier that they they've, they basically they're going for the wrong airplane. You know, they're trying to create a, a bigger airplane out of, out of a smaller run rather than take a mid airplane that already exists and modify that. So this screw all the aviation industry. Let me take a break now. I'm going to play an interview I played Friday where I goofed. I uploaded the wrong one with the commercials. And I want to play this one because I want to get a recording of it. And I want to send it to uh, Carrie Lightfoot, uh, who was the person I had last week. Friday's Friday, Our Friday audience isn't as big. People are already going for the weekend. So I don't think I'll be uh, – um, causing real grief here by repeating an interview. Uh, but I also want to send that to her and also want to play one, have one on the record that doesn't have all the commercials on it. So this will be the one that I'll be sharing uh, from this particular person. So let me a break, play a couple things here. And anybody has questions, you know, if I can talk more about this, we'll have a little bit of time. Actually, we won't have a little bit of time. We can do it another day. Um, but after that, we've got um, Diane Warner coming in with election integrity at the top of uh, the next hour. So I'm going to play some stuff here. let see 8, 10 in the morning and be back in a little bit. This is Greg Penglis for Strikeforce, your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. That is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with MyPillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of MyPillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws. MyPillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio, live. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. at gracecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Gracecare, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Action Radio. So during the break, I was kind of fussing around with, the, <clears throat> excuse me, so, some stuff. Um, the uh, yesterday after the show it was really interesting. I had uh, an opportunity from, from my secret agent uh, to to do another show, a uh, place called Dark Outpost. And so that was uh, with David and Penny, uh, were the the, the the co-hosts of the show. And I just got the uh, the th- the uh, thing for it. It's on Rumble, so I'm gonna look it up after. Tried to do it. I don't know if if the uh, the signal got a little fuzzy during one of my commercials. But I was trying to get it so I could uh, upload it, but I'll do it after the show. It's probably better anyway. Um, so the other thing I have here is we, I did an interview several years ago on WEBY. And, you know, we like to talk guns here on Friday. In fact, I'm hoping to get this person back either with Shirley or on her own at a different time. But this is an interview with Carrie Lightfoot, who does the, uh, the well-armed woman. That's sort her of thing. She's one of the first uh, of, of the, the, the women entrepreneur, you know, gun folks. Uh, to have her own business, uh, I, I don't, you know, she, it's it's a pretty cool thing that she was doing, and so she makes all kinds of recommendations for holsters and guns, and she teaches, and uh, like a lot of people, got into this, you know, because of a, a violent domestic situation uh, that uh, the Shirley Watchell, our, our uh, host on Friday, actually talks about from DC Project, you know, and so uh, it's it's interesting this this goes, but there's a lot of women in guns, which is great. Uh, a lot of other folks in guns. I was watching uh, Colleen Noir last night doing a report, you know, and uh, who's the other person that's uh, my story that does Black Guns Matter? I forgot what Colleen group is, but there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a much much increased um, gun ownership in, in, in black Americans, and, and so different people are, are you know, buying guns, but uh, especially women in, in terms of lobbying and supporting the, the the right to keep and bear arms. It's one thing if, you know, the good old boy walks in and says, hey, damn, I want to hit my gun, and then you ain't going to take it away from me, all right? You know, that's one thing. But if a woman says, look, I was assaulted, I was, you know, uh, all kinds of other really nasty things happened, and uh, I need a gun to defend myself, I'm being stalked, I'm whatever, it's a different impact. It just is. Anyway, so I moved last Friday, and I played the interview with uh, – I uploaded the wrong one and played the one with the commercials. So now I'm going to play the one without the commercials, and this is the one that I want to send to Carrie, and the one that I'll be keeping for uh, uh, for sending out in different places. Anyway, uh, so it will take most of the rest of the hour. And so then we'll have uh, Diane uh, Warner right after that with the election integrity report. So I'm going to play it now. Uh, this is from November 16th of 2017. This is a while ago, but uh, things, some things have changed and some things have not changed. So uh, Shirley should be back Friday. We'll hear her report, too. I'm going to send this, this uh, interview to her as well. Uh, I don't know if Carrie Lightfoot's in the D.C. project, but she certainly should be. Anyway, let me just play it, and we'll be back at the top of the hour with uh, Diane Warner and the election integrity report. Oh yeah! This is going to be a very, very interesting uh, conversation today. In fact, we talked yesterday, so let's get uh, let's get right to my guest, shall we? She is an NRA firearms instructor and an in-home personal protection instructor. She spent years developing small business and a social enterprise nonprofit. And in 2012, she founded the Well-Armed Woman. I want you to welcome my guest, Ms. Carrie Lightfoot. (laughs) Gotta wait for the applause until I died on. The crowd is out there. They're just waiting to hear you.
3: (laughs) Good morning. Good
1: morning. We had so much fun talking yesterday. I don't know where to begin, so I'm just going to kind of start and just uh, see where our conversation goes. Because you have done some amazing things, and, and what I didn't know before I talked to you was the, the incredible depth of psychology that goes into women and guns that I just had absolutely no idea about.
3: It's women. Women are are different. We're we're a little unique, so.
1: And that's we'll the have idea. Talking about it, yeah. Let me give the numbers real quick. Eight five zero six two three thirteen thirty. If you want to call in and talk to uh, to Carrie, eight five zero six two three thirteen thirty. We should talk first about uh, your company, the Well Armed Woman. How you started it? Why you started it? What's uh, what's behind it all?
3: Well, let's see. I mean, I I came to gun ownership very you know later in life. I grew up in New York, and guns were not a part of my world at all. I actually was the mom that didn't even let the boys play with guns, so I kind of had an aversion to them and. and and was ignorant, you know, in my, in my understanding of firearms and the role they played. Um, it was, let's see, my youngest child was getting ready to go off to college. I was a single mom. So there was that, that, uh, kind of awakening that I was really going to be alone, you know, with all the kids gone and, I uh, started working with the homeless and, and serving those that are struggling with poverty, which took me to, you know, a tough part of town. And so I, that, along with probably the, the most important motivator, was um, I had just extracted myself from, a, from an abusive relationship. Wow. And uh, not my former husband, but a, a boyfriend in between. And, you know, that whole experience just, just left me feeling extremely uh, vulnerable and determined to not ever be a victim again. So I started looking at what my options were. You know, what, what could I do to protect myself? And, you know, to make the right decision, I had to look at all the options. And a gun was, you know, is an option and was an option. So I started just doing research and uh, was very frustrated with what I found as a, as a woman. Had some friends take me out shooting and loved it. You know, I felt, I felt empowered really from those first shots of being like, you know, I, I could handle this tool. And I also went through that soul searching of could I actually use it if I had to and uh, made that determination for myself that, yes, I could. If it were, were me or a loved one or a creep, it was we were going to be the ones that survived. So, you know, in that, in that research and trying to figure out, okay, how do I incorporate a firearm into my world, onto my body, you know, into my everyday life, there were no resources for women. You know, the, the firearms industry has always been a very male-driven industry and, and has done a great job meeting the needs of men, but there, there just weren't the resources for women that spoke to me respectfully or answered the questions that I had or the concerns that I had as a woman. And uh, so I was frustrated and I felt, you know what, I can't be the only, the only woman out here that's, that's frustrated, so decided, hey, if no one's doing it, then I'll do it. So I launched the Well-Armed Woman in 2012, January of 2012, and boy, uh, there was just such a phenomenal response to it. Not only from women, but but also from the the, the firearms community, and uh, it just kind of took off from there. In uh, 2013, I launched our, our, our nonprofit, which is the Well Armed Women Shooting Chapters, and that is an organization that provides a, a comfortable, welcoming environment for women all over the country. Because what I was hearing from so many women going to the range and that discomfort, you know, they were curious and wanted to learn yet we're intimidated by the, you know, by the current environment. And so we started that program, and we have chapters all over the country. I think we have 367 chapters and uh, an amazing group of volunteer chapter leaders, which are female instructors around the country that lead these groups and help usher, usher women into gun ownership and self-protection.
1: Wow. There's so many things that, uh, that I want to talk about, because, and we talked about this yesterday, the more women gun owners, the more women gun voters. So I think uh, a lot of the success of the Second Amendment really depends on women becoming more involved, becoming more empowered, and, uh, and taking part uh, in, in this not only the, the self-protection, but also the, the political activism as well.
3: Oh, I totally agree, and it's, been, it's just been so rewarding to see so many women Become engaged in the political discussion. Uh, you know, women. Women are extremely passionate about their right for self-protection, and you know, women. Not that men don't, but women get things done. You know, if you if when you when you uh, lock a woman in on a mission, you know, she she is tireless. You know, and she will get the job done and help get the word out. And you know, I, I've said it before that if mom's shooting, the whole family's shooting, and so. It just engages the whole family, and you know, just just you know, it, it's kind of funny, but there is some truth in the fact that women do kind of manage the purse strings. You know, they, they're they're very involved in all of those major you know purchasing decisions and everything. And so, once mom is engaged, the industry benefits, and uh, so do we as Second Amendment supporters because we're we're getting involved and speaking out and and demanding. Demanding
1: a voice. Yeah, yeah, I may challenge you on some things at some point, but not uh, not right now. But uh, it, what's interesting? No, I say, like I told you yesterday, you can be controversial on my show. But I'm, I'm as a sure. strong men's rights advocate. There's a lot of things that I find really interesting. But here's one of the problems. Um, and and I always uh, you know, think about this. I remember watching um, the, the 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 show the, um, the the pawn thing on the History Channel. And there are guys that are coming in saying, you know, my my wife made me sell this. I've never heard a woman say, my husband made me sell this. <laughs> and so it's really interesting. But, uh, you know, and here's the thing, too. There's a lot of women that, that, you know, the guy might be be out shooting, but if she doesn't want to do it, I think you're right, the family's not going to, or the old I don't want a gun in the house, you know, and then you're, you're giving up all that self-protection. So what do you say to women that are psychologically opposed to firearms who may have absolutely no experience with them whatsoever?
3: You know, we see a lot of women that, that actually do come into our program, you know, well, we have a gun in the house, but I don't know how to use it, and my husband wants me to know how to use it so that that's not a, that's not an uncommon pathway uh, you know i think you know like myself you know i just i just equated guns with death you know or guns with crime and i had no context you know i had no no experience so it really comes down to a couple of things one is for for women for all of us to realize that we we can be vulnerable you know that that crime you know, crime happens everywhere, and you know the, the the reality is is that the majority of violent crime is perpetrated against women. And I think it's that understanding of, boy, as a woman, I have a target on my back, mm-hmm. and there isn't anyone here or around me all the time who can protect me. So there's kind of that that switch that has to happen of, oh, you know, that could be me. What would I do in that in that in that circumstance? And so women kind of coming into that that reality that they need to become their own self-protectors. So I think that's part of it is just that awareness and that acknowledgement of perhaps vulnerability. And then it's the education of what is a firearm? What can it do? What can it do? You know, and, and that it isn't the gun that is bad. It, it, it's bad people with bad guns or the lack of training and the lack of understanding of how they work. You know, women are, are perfectly and well-equipped to manage and handle any kind of tool, right? And it's a yeah. matter of learning how to use it. And once, once they get over that, that initial fear you know, or lack of, of knowledge, that's when the empowerment happens. And so I really just encourage women to, to make their own decision, to do the research and understand, number one, their vulnerability, and number two, the truth about a firearm and any tool. You know, we have to equip ourselves. We have to find the tools and the skills to protect ourselves and keep ourselves safe as we move around this crazy world. And whether, whether a woman chooses a firearm or not, that's her decision. I just want her making that decision based on information and what's best for her, not on other people's perceptions or, on, or because of a fear of the unknown.
1: But here's the problem. One of the greatest obstacles to women owning guns is other women. You know, you've got, uh, you've got liberal gun groups, you know, anytime there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a tragedy, like we just had this, this, this murder in Texas, where, where a good guy with uh, what I would call a freedom rifle stopped a, a murderer with what I would call an assault weapon, and yet it was the exact same gun. And so, right. you know, the whole, the perception of this um, is, is very strange. And so you've got these gun groups that are saying, you know, like you are saying earlier, you can't defend yourself, you're going to have the gun taken away, guns are bad, if we just get rid of them all, we'll all be fine, and we can bury our heads in the sand, and everything will be wonderful. And I came up right. with a new term uh, for you, which you can use, feel free, defense dependency. You know, you don't want to be, yeah. you don't want to be defense dependent on, on someone else. Why, why is that 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 and women vote against, uh, you know, second amendment stuff all the time. You know, you look at a lot of these elections, especially in places where you were in New York, you know, they Maybe. still can't get a carry permit. You know, unless you are, you know, politically well connected or or whatever. I mean, Donald Trump had one because he could afford it, but you know, most people aren't right. Donald Trump. You know, when he was a right. private citizen in New York. So, so what are you going to? What can you do to combat the perception from women about firearms and even women owning guns from other women? It's just this. There's a problem.
3: There is a problem, and it's really frustrating. It's infuriating, and uh, you know, it is this this messaging that is is. Uh, Committing women to victimhood, yeah. committing women to having to be defense dependent. I love that term.
1: Oh, use it, Phil. That's what
3: I do. We're being forced into that position, or being told that we aren't able or equipped to be our own self protectors, and that we must rely on others. And that is just backwards to the messaging of women's self empowerment. So I don't know how they. Ha- I don't know how that discussion takes place from the same position because they don't, they don't match up. Yes. Uh, it, it, it is very frustrating. Again, I think education is part of it. And, you know, I think the truth is those that oppose our rights and those that are trying to restrict them or eliminate them are masters at messaging. And, and, and women being such empathetic, sympathetic, relational beings that powerful messaging that really uses emotion and, and, and painful thoughts, you know, to sway women or to scare them away from firearms is really inappropriate. And uh, uh, we have to get good at that too. And that's one of the reasons I think women are such a powerful voice in the Second Amendment conversation is because nobody can tell a survival story like a woman can. Nobody can, nobody can tell or share their reasons their fears of walking out of their office in the evening or through a parking lot or that bump in the night and and so women are master storytellers and i think i think that's an important uh, an important thing that women bring to the conversation because the other side is very good at that and for the most part when when second amendment advocates are defending our rights there's usually a lot of statistics and numbers thrown out which are important and really valuable and and uh, important to the conversation, but they're not quite as moving as using, you know, a shooting at a school or something like that. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? I know
1: exactly what you're saying. In fact, I sent you yeah. uh, a way that uh, women can sort of defeat the 1,000-foot the uh, you know, uh, gun-free zone around schools. And If a guy comes out and says, well, you know, this is my right. I want to be able to protect myself, that doesn't have as much weight, uh, for better or for worse these days, than like, if a woman said, I want to be able to protect, protect my kids. I want to take them to and from school. Why are they vulnerable 1,000 feet from a school? It's the same argument, but from a totally different perspective. And one is going to be emotionally much more effective. Yeah, Yeah.
3: And, and who wants to be on the other side of that woman saying, no, I'm sorry, you, you can't have the tool to protect yourself, even though there's such a disparity in force between you and the bad guy. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody wants to be in that position. No politician, you know, no, no anchor person wants to be that person that, that's telling that woman, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I'm, I just have to leave you vulnerable.
0: Yeah, and that's Which why... Is we-
3: and, and the fact that, that there are women who are... Kind of uh, espousing women's equality, and that the women have the right to be equal on every platform, in every arena—political, right, uh, workforce. Our bodies, women—we know we, we we need to be empowered to have the right over making those decisions about what we do with our bodies. But yet, somehow, on this topic, we're too weak. You know, we're not prepared. We're going to get hurt. We're going to hurt ourselves. How patronizing is that? Yeah. You're, you know, you, oh, you little lady, you're going to hurt yourself. You know, you're, you're a little too emotional to handle that firearm. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, it's really frustrating. We're either equal or not, <laughs> one or the other. Yeah. It can't be everything but self-defense.
1: Well, that's what I want to talk about, too. I, we, we sort of talked about this yesterday, that uh, gun control is sexist. <laughs> it just is. We've got to take a break. I want to come back and, mm-hmm. and sort of pick up on that and, uh, and see what we can do. So it's 821 here. Uh, my guest, uh, Carrie Lightfoot, and she's started the, uh, the Well-Armed Woman. And we can get into how the industry has changed and all the other things that are going on and the actual physical carrying and the adaptation process of that. But uh, let's talk about uh, sexism and gun control when we come back. Uh, it's 821 now. I'll be right back in just a bit. Of course, as always, the, the uh, world's greatest producer, A Dog, with the appropriate music to uh, to bring us into our segment here. That's A Dog with uh, with our selection. So my guest is Carrie Lightfoot, and we're talking about the well armed woman. And so let's let's get to a little conversation we started before. Gun control is sexist. You know, we're the feminists. You know, where, if you can be uh, get, you know be empowered, have equal you know pay at work, and all the other things that we're, we're fought for, which were, you know which is a good thing. I, I'm a firm believer in equality, but uh, there's no equality of firearms among the feminists.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, thinking while we were, you know, in the break here, you know, I, you know, I really believe that the, that, you know, the the Moms Demand Action is, you know, is funded by by Bloomberg. So it is, you know, there's there's money behind that and influence behind that, and I really think that, I really think that they know. I think they know the power of women, and they know the power of women in the Second Amendment conversation. What what could, that could be. And that they are working very hard to silence that to diminish that voice with this very hem- you know heavy emphasis on you know um, you know women should be afraid of gun- guns, and women are going to get hurt by guns if they have them, and that that messaging you know is them trying to tap that down because they know if 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 women really activate you know and really get on board and get vocal in this Conversation and in the fight for our rights, that they are in big trouble. Yeah. So they're just they're just working hard uh, because they can't. You know, they, they they just can't equate that whole equality thing. What. And, uh,
1: what are these folks afraid of? What? What? Is, I mean, this goes for for men and women. The fact that we we own and carry guns, we, we're capable of defending ourselves and our, our our friends and our family and our community, our churches, you know, uh, places, uh, our schools. Why? Why is is the left so afraid of of American individuals, both men and women, being empowered to defend ourselves?
3: You know, I think there's a couple of things going on. I think I think one is just a uh, a level of ignorance and that and that, of lack of understanding and knowledge and I, and I don't understand how they can't equate law-abiding gun owners to safe gun ownership i don't know why they can't make that connection and that all that all guns gun owners are bad you know and, I, and, and it, it, it's frustrating I, you know i think i think power is at the root of it you know i think that, that i mean it's, it's power i mean yeah. those you know there, there's there's you It's easier to have power over people if they're unarmed, and so you can you can grow that power by by weakening those that would oppose you and, and and removing their ability to protect you I mean that's kind of on the big scale, you know my opinion on tyranny and all of that, but um you know I don't know if it's, a, if, it's if, it, if it's i don't know I, people get so they get so cemented you know they get so cemented into a a belief that even facts and realities and logic and common sense you know do nothing
0: yeah <laughs> you know it
3: can't 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 creep in and that's the frustration is that's why there can't be a conversation everybody is so solidified that you just can't you can't breach it and so we just keep banging up against each other and and nothing happens
1: yeah. goes to my principle that assumptions are always stronger than truth
3: mhm Mm-hmm. And them. and the lack of willingness to see the truth, or at least be open to hearing something that may be truth, uh, you know, it really frustrates the whole process. And so we we just keep, you know, that just it's just a closed it's a closed door. And I don't I don't know I think I think our influence comes through people that aren't cemented yet. You know, those that aren't. You know, there's a lot of people say, well, you know, I'm I'm supportive of the Second Amendment. But I think we should have this legislation, this legislation, and this legislation. You know, I think that whole middle ground of America that is kind of in the middle just needs to have a better understanding. You know, I think I think common sense will have uh, will, will affect that, will move that, will shift people more toward really understanding the Second Amendment, what it means, and and the risks associated with messing with it, right, and toying with it. And, I, and I, so I think it, I think I think that's who we should be t- speaking to, and that's the people that are around each and every one of us. Everyone listening, it's the people that you pass by every day, the people that you work with, people perhaps even in your home. You know that we can influence person to person, and just and and introduce them to the realities of who and what a law-abiding American gun owner is.
0: Yeah, and, and that can
3: dispel some of that fear and yeah. and, and, and open them up to a better understanding of the importance of protecting our Second Amendment rights.
1: So if you can't protect the Second Amendment, they kind of go hand in hand. Um, Right. I want to kind of trace through – in uh, case you know, for women who were initially say like you were brought up to be afraid of guns, or just you don't talk about them, you know you don't have them in the home. To that transition, so so woman wants to go through the process. But you're saying that women just think mm-hmm. differently, and because women think differently, the process of, of going from a person who may be afraid of guns to becoming a gun owner is more complicated. And there's a lot of things that the industry didn't know that they're finding out. But kind of walk us through that. How you know how how do you go from uh, how do women go from from uh, from not engaging guns at all to be being an, an owner and being empowered?
3: Mm-hmm. Great question. Um, and it is kind of, I, I, I call it a journey and I just, I, and a journey for a woman into self becoming her self protector and gun ownership is just different. It's a different journey than, than most men. And we're speaking generally, mm-hmm. obviously there's exceptions, but generally speaking, it is a different, it is a different journey. Uh, you know, part of it is that soul searching, you know, women, women are life givers and they're nurturers and, Um, You know, we're we're taught to be nice and pleasant and make everybody happy, and and those those traits, you know, are something that we have to think about and and pass through in making this decision and saying, could I use it? You know, if if that were me, what would I do? And could I pull the trigger on another human being, you know, who is who is wanting to do me harm? And it's just it's just part of the process. And Because there's no time to figure that out. You can't purchase your gun um, uh, and be in, involved in some sort of violent attack and then make that decision. You don't have the time to. So just that thinking. So a lot of the first steps are just processing information and doing some self-analysis, maybe you know, squaring it up spiritually. You know, uh, you know, God, are you okay with this? And, and getting all of that kind of groundwork done before the firearm purchase. Hmm. And I also really encourage all people, all women, to, to look at the, the purchase of a firearm and that and bringing that into their world as a package deal. It isn't just about buying the gun. You know, it is a package deal. There has to be a commitment to training. Having a gun and not knowing how to use it means nothing, you know. And then, and then you would be putting yourself or others at risk. Because of your your lack of, uh, of of training and ability to handle that firearm safely, and so there has to be that commitment to I will train with this gun and I will learn how to shoot it and be my best you know my own best self protector. There also has to be a commitment to understanding the laws. It's so complex. I just was in California last weekend, and oh my gosh, the poor people in California,
1: yeah, talk the about that, the Americans, what the, they go through. Oh, they can't get permits. They I can't mean, get anything.
3: It is. It is uh it's pretty it's pretty crazy you know what what they have to go through and all of the steps and the, you know now there's the new ammo law that will go into into effect in January where they will do background checks every time they purchase ammo so there's it's so cumbersome, but we have to understand wherever we are what the laws are where where can I carry where can't I when can I use it when can't I you know really understand the the use of lethal force and You know, the fact that the use of your firearm is is the tool of last resort. And so we have to understand that. We have to be committed to understanding that and keeping up with it. In many places, the logic change. You know, there's changing. There's things happening. So they have to be committed. They have to also be committed to um, the safe storage. You know, and that includes, you know, if you're carrying it, it must be in a holster. If you're going to carry it in a purse, it has to be in a holster. It can't be in there. You know, and that means the safe. Having the right tools at home, if you have children, or depending on what your laws are in your area, again, the laws imp- can impact how you store your firearm when it's not on your body. So we just have, it, it really is a package deal and, and we have to be, everyone has to be willing to make those commitments and if they're not ready, it's okay if they're not ready to own a firearm then. Hmm. The time isn't quite right yet until they're ready to make those commitments. And, uh, so it's really that process you know, of thinking it all through, making the commitments to assume the responsibility of owning and carrying a firearm,
0: it's huge.
3: You know, um, <clears throat> Clint Smith said to me once, he said, Carry, you know, carrying a firearm isn't supposed to be comfortable, it's supposed to be a comfort. And those words have mm-hmm. always really resonated with me about, and, and to me what that meant, you know, what I heard and, and the light bulbs that w- went off in my head were that awesome responsibility that we assume when we... Carry or own that firearm, you know, and, and in carrying it, it's like I want to know where it is, and I want to be reminded every moment of the responsibility that I'm carrying on my body.
1: But that's our birthright as Americans is, is, to, <clears throat> is to do this, is to have the ability mm-hmm. to be in control of, of our own self-defense. That's the way the system was set up. In fact, there was a right. time when it was, you know, you were looked upon as, as not doing your civic duty if you were not carrying a firearm. And mm-hmm. so that, is, now that, was, that was for men mostly, and I'm, I'm glad this is changing. Um, but there, there was a time, you know, when those things were, were going on. And the Second Amendment, I'm, I'm a Second Amendment absolutist as, as far as the, mm-hmm. the context of the right being owning and carrying. Now the government right. has, has an absolute right to, well actually powers, the, the power of the government to, to regulate the illegal use versus the legal use. You know, illegal right. use is being brandishing up to murder. Okay, so that's where the government has a, has a role. They have absolutely no role whatsoever. They cannot touch or infringe, and the fringe is the absolute outside edge, this is how I explain right. it, um, on the right to own and carry. So you have the right to own and carry any firearm you want. Um, anywhere you want um, because that's, that's that the law. We can talk about a couple of exceptions like you know, courtrooms and things like that, and I understand that. But generally, yes. the, the, the presumption should be that you should be able to own and carry your firearm, but the, and that's, that's your Second Amendment right. The use of it is not. You know, mm-hmm. so th- and that's where we get the legal and illegal uses. And if we can concentrate on the uses of firearms and concentrate on the person and on the behavior of the people, that's going to be a whole lot different than uh, what's going on now, concentrating on the gun and the technology and things like that. Um,
3: right. yeah, Because that's where the responsibility lies. You know? Yeah. You know, with us that, 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 that uh, utilize that right and take advantage of that God-given right is the responsibility that goes along with that. Yeah. And I think that's... That's who that's who the American gun owner is, you know, and that's what's so frustrating is you know we're we're not criminals. we obey the law, you know we obey those laws that you put in and then don't mess with me. <laughs> you know don't mess with me in yeah. my right, and as soon as we start tinkering with it, I mean I, there's a lot of vulnerability, it creates a vulnerability, and so many people you know I do a lot of interviews and, and a lot of have a lot of different conversations with people, and there there's this disconnect with. A constitutional right mm-hmm. and a privilege, you know you know like owning a car or driving a car, and there's always that equation you know but you know trying to equate the owning of a car and the owning of a gun, and it's like you can't do that one is a constitutionally protected right
1: yeah I would I'm, it's, it's I'm, a
3: different conversation and and those lines get blurred, and most of that's just really a lack of understanding of really what the second amendment provides what what they all do and the fact that this isn't these rights aren't something granted to us by the government these are a right that's given to us by them this is a right that is affirmed you know that that that's the that's the role of the constitution and the bill of rights is it affirms these rights and it cements them and it guarantees them this isn't a right that the that the government has given us and has the has the authority or the ability to start to manipulate
1: yeah, and I would argue right. a little bit on the fact that I think the driver's license actually gets used against us. See, I would see the right to travel is every bit of the right um, to, to self-defense. And that the government has no right to regulate either ones. Now, a right is something you exercise; it's not something you're given. So you don't you don't have, the right to travel doesn't mean that you get given a car any more than the Second Amendment means you get given a gun. You still have to go out and buy them. But the right you are right. free to exercise without government uh, infringement, and that's the difference. And so, we, I'd get rid of the driver's license too and replace it with something else like a certificate of competence or some other kind of thing, or just get rid of it entirely uh, and just go by the laws like we do everything else. But that's uh, we got a question here. Actually, we have Marshall on the line, so he wants to talk to you. So let's get Marshall on. Go ahead, Marshall.
2: Okay. Yeah, my question is, concealed weapons permit owners have a better record than law enforcement. And they keep using the argument that law enforcement is going to show up and save you. When is the NRA going to start making an issue of, Concealed weapon permit owners have a better record than first responders. Hmm.
0: Good question. Thanks, Marshall.
3: Yeah, I've heard that. You know, and I actually just read that recently somewhere. Marshall, great question. We are law-abiding people, you know, and that's why the whole—that's why this whole argument gets so frustrating. It's like we're 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 the good people. Now, law enforcement and first responders are good people too, and there isn't in in any group there's there's an element that maybe isn't quite as as um <clears throat> on top of that, um uh, the fact that we get l- kind of lumped in with the criminals or equated with the criminals is extremely frustrating but i have I, you know i have I have heard that um uh, I have great respect for law enforcement first responders and' so glad they're there when they're there but their their duty isn't to protect you in the moment they can't be there,
1: yeah. Yeah, you and know, I always define that uh, you know our rights are not dependent on the actions of criminals. So because a criminal murdered people horribly does not mean that that means my rights get taken away. There, there's there's, a, there's there's no connection between what a criminal mm-hmm. who breaks the law does and my rights as an individual as a law abiding citizen. We're gonna take a break. Yeah. When we come back, I want to get into what's, how the gun industry has has uh, has changed, how women have an influence on that, and what are good guns for women, and how do women make those decisions. Let's talk about that when we come back. Uh, Eight forty is the time. My guest is Carrie Lightfoot. And We'll be right
0: back. Hey,
1: Doug, you're having so much fun at you back there. Hey, Doug, the world's greatest producer once again with the musical selections. to we'll our our guest back here. Uh, uh, Carrie Lightfoot, who uh, runs the Well Armed Woman, and so yeah, you should give your contact information before we get to, before we forget to do that. Websites, Facebook pages, anything like that, which I've already posted to our WEBY page.
3: Oh, good. Yes, uh, the website is thewellarmedwoman.com, dot com, and we have Facebook page, Facebook slash the Well Woman, and uh, email is info at thewellarmedwoman.com. dot com. We're on Instagram. We're everywhere. Pinterest. Uh, You'll find us. Just do a search and you will find us.
1: That's the idea. And the phone number here, 850-623-1330, 850-623-1330. Kind of surprised we haven't had a call, um, because there's, this is such a, uh, an interesting topic and the industry is changing so fast. So I guess we're gone from the days when uh, women would walk into a shop and, uh, you know, and and the guy behind the counter would say, come here little lady, let's give you the, the pink-handled, uh, you know, revolver that's uh, about your size here. You know, so, so what?
0: It
1: still happens. <laughs> oh, it still <laughs> happens. Alright, well let's it say... It still where, where were we or where, sh- where should we not be and where are we now?
3: Uh, oh, there's been uh, I've seen so much, so much growth within the industry, and kind of the the the, the reality. You know, they've all had the kind of a reality check of really who the women customer is, what their needs are. We've really seen so much growth. You know, we work at the well and woman closely with, you know, some of the top manufacturers and 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 help inform them. You know, and help open up. Uh, the the conversation directly with women shooters so that they can get that feedback. Uh, well, you know, sadly we still see that. I mean, we still see kind of the here little lady, or you know, sadly even you know, husband and wife or a man and a woman, you know, will walk into a gun store and all of the conversation is directed at the man, uh, and and the woman is like, hey, I'm over here, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, and some of, you know, it, that part's frustrating, but we are seeing growth. So I want to I want I want to be in a more positive you know, set things in a more positive light, and, and I think it's just really a matter of understanding and respecting women. You know, respecting—hey, our dollars spend the same as everybody else's. And um, as I said earlier, you know, women in many instances kind of control the purse string. So, you know, if mom buys a gun, you know, then there's a lot of guns and a lot of ammo and a lot of gear being purchased. And uh, we found in a recent survey we did with our with the women within our organization that the average woman in an organization had five owned 5.6 handguns
0: hmm.
3: and that's just the handguns only that's a lot of guns yeah. and so no it's know, not that's,
0: what, <laughs> that's, 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 a, that's <laughs> <Yeah>. a start
3: <laughs> <laughs> well
0: yeah
1: yeah so what, you know, guy, what guns are, are good for women um, to carry are, are guns specifically made for for women now or or are they just like general categories that uh, that, that work better what's, what what are, the, what are the good products what's going on?
3: There's so many variables, and we get oh boy, we get this question all the time you know mm-hmm. what's the best gun? Uh, you know really the answer is there is no right gun. Uh, there's so many different things to take into consideration for each human being you know hand strength or whatever, but typically women's hands are smaller. So you know there are firearms that we find that uh that women are kind of on a regular basis purchasing you know
4: um mm-hmm.
3: most likely for the same for the for, for some of the same reasons you know for the the uh, you know grip size and things like that um you know the the Smith and Wesson M and P Shield is always a, a very popular firearm with, with women, it's nine millimeter. Mm-hmm. We're also finding you know some research we did in an article I wrote on the top ten guns that women were purchasing, they all almost all of them were nine millimeter. And there were no revolvers in the top ten, which I thought was really interesting as as women kind of grow in their knowledge and there's more resources for them to find out information, um, you know, most are making the decision Four or nine millimeter grip is usually one of the biggest challenges, right?
0: Okay, uh, yeah, that makes sense.
3: So you know, Springfield, Walters, there's a, the Ruger LC9S is a really popular firearm. The SIG Sauer P238, which is the 380, uh, one of the most popular uh, firearms. The Glock 43, uh, which is a, a single stack. So most of these are single stacks. So there's still this challenge out there about finding, the you know, finding a greater capacity in in a smaller firearm that we can Carry-on body, and that's that's kind of the ongoing challenge. More the magazines, Glock 19, <laughs> more right? magazines,
1: yeah, more magazines, yeah.
3: Exactly. So, um, but what you know, really, what they're looking for is that grip and the ability to to, you know, to work everything with their smaller hands. You know, reaching the safety if there's a safety or the magazine release. You know, a slide lock, things like that. Yeah. So those are usually the the areas where there can be some frustration. And finally, but not not least is racking a slide. Always just a challenge. You know, women do not have the upper body strength or the hand strength that most men have. So learning the proper technique is key, is key uh, for a woman in, in, in racking that frustration. Uh, and so the Walvis are always really smooth, a, a little lighter, this, the CCP. Mm-hmm. The, LC, the new LC9S has a, has a really smooth slide, one that not isn't isn't a real challenge. And the six hours, the 238 and the 938, both have very easy operating slides. Mm -hmm. So just a little less tension in that spring is something that women are looking for.
1: Well that makes sense. But that, that goes for anybody too because you know yeah. The, the, yeah. the things have changed. You know, there the used to be the standard um, semi auto back in the uh, the army combat days was your 45 1911. It's a big mm-hmm. heavy gun. It was carried in an outside holster and with concealment it's a whole different thing. You know, it's one thing for police to be able to and, and uh, service folks to be able to carry in an outside holster. It's something else. You know, to be able to, to carry, uh, concealed. So a single stack mm-hmm. makes sense. Nine millimeters is roughly equivalent to a 38, and that was a standard police round for decades. So you're not, you're not, mm-hmm. you know, carrying underpowered, as they say. And, right. and semi-autos is simpler. You, you take a Glock over a 1911, you got a four-part, you got a barrel, you got a spring, you got a slide, you got a, 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 a handle or grip. You know, and it's easier mm-hmm. for everybody to maintain. So the switch to semi-autos makes a whole lot of sense. We got Sandra on the yeah. line. I want to take her call right away. Uh, Sandra, Great. go ahead.
4: Hi, good morning. I just turned on a few minutes ago. I wish I'd heard uh, you know all of your show. I have my concealed carry. Uh, I am a, a widow, and um,
3: I know what gun I. I'm pretty sure I know what gun I want to get. But I have a question. What about lasers? Because if somebody breaks into my house at night or something, you know, and your adrenaline's going and all that. Um, what's your feeling about lasers? Because I want to make sure I hit the biggest part and take them down. Great question, Sandra. Thanks for calling in, and, and I'm sorry you missed the first part, but but we can catch up later somehow. It's such a great question, um, you know, especially at night in the home. I mean, you know, these decisions are all personal decisions, and training, obviously, is is, is involved for you. But, um, you know, getting a, a flashlight with a laser, having both, especially at home at night so you can, you can light up that target and verify that you know that that is the bad guy and not just a drunk neighbor coming in the door, you know, that sort of thing. Um, you know, and I think, I think the important thing to, to remember, Sandra, is that any any tool like that still is a, is a mechanical tool and it can fail. So we always want to make sure that we're trained if if for some reason that laser doesn't work or the flashlight doesn't work, but I do think that those can be really great tools to have on your firearm, especially for um, home defense, uh, just to help to help you identify that that target and make sure that you have hit that target in those in those moments that you have to protect yourself. Um, you know, there's some discussion on you know whether that gives your location away and all of that. So, you know, which is is valid. You know, once you once you light that laser, they now know exactly where you are, uh, and so being trained in when to use it and how to use it and when to verify that target and pull the trigger to protect yourself is really important.
1: They may know where Does you are anyway. You? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, Sanders has gone. she's listening on on the air. But we have to take a break real quick. We're going to come back and uh, more questions. And why do people don't wait till the last minute, folks? Eight fifty two here. Carrie Lightfoot my guest. We'll be back.
0: Oh. That's the thing about shooting. It's
1: fun. Isn't that a great revelation? Thanks, Adoc. Isn't that a great revelation for women when they go the first time to the range? Shooting a gun is really fun.
3: Oh, they love it. They love it. The looks and the face, you know, Oh, it's just an amazing sight to see To, to see her go from, you know, really nervous and fearful to that, oh, my gosh, that was awesome look on her face. It's, we see it all the time. Yeah, and It can happen to anybody out there, too. You just got to give it a try. Just try it.
1: Take a woman to the shooting range. You know, let's uh, yes. help the cause out. Yeah. Um, one of the things that helped me uh, develop a lot of my skills uh, was competition. And are there women's competitions? Are women encouraged to compete? Uh, what's going on in that world? We only have a couple minutes left.
3: Yeah, we actually we're really working on engaging women in competition and kind of breaking down the barriers that keep them from it. You know, it's a lot of intimidation. I'm not good enough. Whatever. And we're seeing a lot of women. I mean, we have Julie Gala. Oh, we've got such amazing. Uh, women out there as Mm -hmm. role models Uh, it's a great way to train and it's a great way to hone those skills under that pressure and the shooting community as you know because you you do some competing Mm -hmm. it's so friendly they're so welcoming and they're there to help you and so i encourage it idpa any of the any of those shooting sports is just a great way to have a blast and and hone your skin your skills
1: yeah, because you're doing everything you can't do in the regular range. You're drawing, firing, right. cover, use, right. you know, all the things. They try, especially IDPA tries to make the scenarios as realistic as possible. And if you do that and you see how it works, you realize limitations that you wouldn't see at the range, you're going to gain a tremendous amount of knowledge from, uh, from competition That's right. Well. And the,
3: the, the stress of, of a timer, you know, mm-hmm. just the stress of doing that, that gets all your adrenaline running, you know, and all of those you know, things that happen to our bodies under stress. Is the same whether it's good stress or bad stress. So you get to, you get to feel like what does it feel like to be moving and shooting with, when my body is is under stress.
1: Yeah. Also, you have a, a new if we can break some news here, a warrior woman workout.
3: We do, yes, and hopefully that'll be out here in the next month. We're trying to get it out by Christmas, but this is a really it, this is new and it's never been done before, and it's a comprehensive workout program that focuses on developing the skills and the muscle memory. For self-defense, uh, you know, with or without a firearm, but but you know, uh, it just reinforces that. So we go through some scenarios together. We break that down. We start. To, we then teach the, some of the tactical m- maneuvers, if you will, and then that leads into the whole workout program. So you're working out. You're taking care of your body, and you're also working and, and building that that muscle man- memory to draw your firearm in self-defense or maneuver and around cover and concealment and or, or, you know, or to strike or block an attacker up close. I'm really excited about it. It really is is kind of groundbreaking and I think it's really going to be a great Opportunity for women to again become the best self protectors they can be, and get in good shape too.
1: Yeah, and we have to go in just a, just a few seconds here. But first, of all, I want to thank you for coming on the show. We should do like maybe a Christmas show, or you know, or the next time there's a, the shot show, whatever you know, specific products for for, uh, for women or sure. things like that. But it has been a pleasure to have you on here. Really appreciate it. Any any last oh, the closing? The has
3: been all mine.
1: Oh, good. Any contact information? One last thing. Just have a few seconds left.
3: Uh, Thewellarmedwoman.com. dot com. You can get everywhere from there. So just go to the website.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you, Greg. Thank Appreciate you, Greg. It. Take care now.
1: You too. And uh, we're probably working together on some action radio stuff. We have some legislation things in the works and a bunch of other things going on as well. Carrie Lightfoot uh, of The Well-Armed Woman. Again, you can find that uh, it's on my Facebook page. I posted her page, The Well-Armed Woman uh, LLC. You'll find that. And uh, tomorrow's The Creek Show. And so we're going to talk about the powwow coming up this week. Dangerously cool. All right, fast forward to present day. That was a recording, and I, I had played originally Friday, actually, but I goofed. I, I, I uploaded the wrong version, and so I had the one with the commercials in it. So I wanted to get a, a the proper one in because I wanted to send this to to Carol Lightfoot get her back on the show. I just have a really good copy, so you know I always like to have these uh, WBY ones uh, that I replay here uh, without all the extra stuff to it. So let's bring on our election integrity reporter, Diane Warner, our, our latest superstar. Uh, and uh, bring her on. Good morning. How you doing? Good morning. All right. We have a little ritual to perform here. And the ritual is I, as, as emperor of the great VAT Action Radio Empire, do hereby dub the citizen legislator for creating a piece of legislation, which is now on righteouslaws.com. <laughs> so it's official. You're in.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
4: yay,
1: yay. Yay. There well, we it was go. Pretty yeah.
4: exciting handing it it was pretty exciting handing it to Rundman on Monday night.
1: Well, let's tell that story. We, we got some time here. It's been, I'm sort of a, I, I think I'm a victim of my own adrenaline because I'm so used to having, you know, like, uh, Peter McCullough was last week. I, I did an interview uh, yesterday after the show. I was on video. I'm going I'm to post that in just a little bit. Tomorrow I've got Christina Bob. So the days they don't have a superstar, all of a sudden it's like, oh, gee, what are we going to do? But this is how it used to be. <laughs> this is like regular radio for me, you know? So uh, it's kind of nice to have these, these uh, folks, but I'll tell you, you get used to. And we have Robert Spencer. You know, we had a little goof on, uh, on on both our parts uh, with him. And he kind of surprised us uh, yesterday, too. So yesterday was like a total adrenaline. Today's like, what well, why does he feel kind of, you know, mellow today? I'm not quite sure anyway. But I think that's uh, that's what's going on. So if I'm a little, you know, it may seem normal to you, but it seems quiet to me. <laughs> and then Wendy and, and Bill couldn't be here this morning. So we've been sort of vamping and, you know, thinking of other things to, to do here. Yeah. So let's tell the story. Let's talk about why you started this bill, who Joel Rudman is for all our folks around the country, and, and then people can relate to that, you know, their own election uh, integrity issues. So go ahead, from from idea to actual bill to presenting to legislator. This is a great story. How'd you do it?
4: Oh wow, when you start from the beginning. Um, well, go back as far I, as you 20, want. 2020. Well, I'm twenty twenty well, 2020 yeah. is what woke me up. So okay. um and I that. That night, and I saw that you know Biden had been hiding in his basement for the entire campaign, and he beat Trump. And when all the servers went down that night it, across the country at the same exact time, I'm like, "This is this is massive. The corruption is massive, coast to coast." So that's when I just started. I did a lot of investigation. I joined uh, my husband and I joined the fence We knocked on doors for months and um, found a whole lot of problems in our county with bloated voter rolls and then you know, have just spoken with so many people and i don't trust the machines it, can you look at a machine a voting machine and tell someone passes
0: uh-huh.
4: and you know I'm, I'm absolutely not an expert but so you know it's just I, i've seen so much I, and then we spoke with um david clements and he had they had found in new mexico that They have Dominion, and we we have ES&S, but I think they're very closely related and doing pretty much the same thing. But Mm -hmm. their machines could uh, copy, could print out a filled-out ballot. So um, they have removed their machines in, I think it's Otero County in New Mexico. And so I've just done a lot of looking into everything. We've got several other counties that have uh, banned the machines in the counties. And, you know, we Mm -hmm. just want transparency. So... That's what I really wanted to go about with my bill. I want to clean the voter rolls and I want transparency. So, we, you, and I helped create a bill for that. And you had an mm-hmm. excellent idea on just dumping all the voter rolls every year, mm-hmm. so that'll that'll clean them instantly. And um, yeah, well, I had my own bill. Then,
1: and and so just to jump in the story here for a second, I had my own bill that I wrote, yeah. which had three provisions. One was uh, uh, the second one was that all voter registrations expire. Uh, December 31st, uh, the first one is that uh, no personal information could be given out on the Internet, uh, resulting from the stuff that you give the voter information folks so you can register to vote. And the third one is like an enhanced penalty for using personal information gathered from the Internet. So we kind of merged that little bit. And I think you and I determined that we should do the first part of that, you know, the restriction of information, uh, which would go against the Sunshine Law that I think is a little enthusiastic. Uh, overzealous in terms of getting information out uh, on that. But there's no reason for the, the voter registration folks to be putting our personal information, name, phone number, address, birthday, uh, party affiliation, email, you know, all that stuff online. That's just crazy.
4: Yeah. Well, and they give it, Eric gives it out too, the electronic registration um, information center. That's, so maybe combine maybe those the two. and
1: uh, Yeah. Maybe the Eric bill and the sunshine Eric. bill. Yeah, let's do them both on the same bill. Oh, that bill,
4: would it'd, be an excellent idea. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, because it's the same kind of it's the same topic. So we still keep within our our single subject area, uh, but we basically yeah. we'll call it the, the uh, Protection of Personal Information Bill. We'll, we'll figure something out. But yeah, let's combine those two. So Eric plus online yeah. info. Yeah. Okay. This is how we legislate folks. Oh, we just basically food. do it. Back <laughs> to oh. your story. <laughs> Meanwhile, back to Diane's story. Sorry for the interruption. Continue. Yeah.
4: You're fine. Well, at the delegation meeting, it was a couple of weeks ago, I had talked to Dr. Rudman. He's our state representative that we helped get um, elected just in Mm -hmm. the last election. And um, I just, for the people who don't know who he is, he's Mm -hmm. a doctor in our area. He's actually my husband's doctor. And Mm -hmm. um, so I talked to him and I said, hey, you know, I'm writing a bill. Tell me, give me your best advice. And he just said, find all the statutes, you know, just cross out what you don't want. And leave it in there so he can take it out and then add what I do want. And then you taught me how to do it, how to put it all into order and how to find all the statutes. And it was mm-hmm. a long process. It was a lot longer yeah. than I thought
1: it was kind that you were a big help for it. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, and I had to learn the system myself. I had to develop it. <laughs> so try, mine was like the trial and trial and error part. So I think I've I pretty much got. Of course, every bill is a little bit different. But tell me about you know, this is for anybody across the country that wants to to do this themselves. You know, what you thought about the process before you got into it, and then and you had a long bill, too. So this is this is an unusually long. Uh, bill and very technical, but I think we've kept to the parts we have to without, and not added to it more than we need to, but just from, from you thought to yourself, I'm going to write a bill. You're dancing up and down going, hey, husband, I'm going to write a bill, <laughs> you know, to, oh, no, I'm yeah. writing a bill, <laughs> yeah. you know, so so let's, let's hear about that process. It just it, it took several weeks
4: and you, mm-hmm. you jump in and you start finding a statute, and then you think, oh, this mm-hmm. is good, I've got it in here. And then you look at another set, and you go, oops, I got to fix that one too. Oops, I got to mm-hmm. fix that one too. Mm-hmm. Oops. And you do, it just mm-hmm. snowballs, and so it a lot gets of rabbit holes.
1: Yeah, so it's a, it, it, is. It, it is a frustrating yeah. process, especially. Uh, this is why I say you got to take time. Uh, you can't do too much at once. You know, you do as much as you can, and then you stop. You're never going to. You know, this isn't a one day thing. And if you have a schedule, you're just going to drive yourself no. nuts. So you do it until you're frustrated. Yeah. you say, Oh, this is crazy! And then you stop. Then you go bike ride. <laughs> you know. Then you go do something else. Exactly. Go, go get out. Just exactly. Leave it alone. You have to be go in the p- right. P-
4: you have to mm-hmm. be in the right frame of mind for sure. And I've done mm-hmm. that multiple times. I'm like, my brain is not comprehending this right now. Going to come back later.
1: Yeah. But, um, I figure actual legislating, and- I'm good for about two hours of uh, uh, two hours of concentration, and with it with a break in yeah. the middle. But at, at, by the end of the second hour, I've got to go do something else. i got to watch, you know, The Three Musketeers or something like that. You know, <laughs> I, need, I need an outlet. <laughs> well, I'm watching a British well, series right now, hey. my Roku. So there's a, there's a great British th- remake of the, the the 15th remake of The Three Musketeers, you know, from silent films to the, these, this modern British. It's really good. So that's my diversion right now, you know, when I'm not uh, you know, exercising or doing something. But, uh, yeah, yeah. anyway, so th- you got to have all these things. But an hour maybe, well, a, right a total concentration, two hours a total. Two hours a day is, is, is all you can do on legislating. You just, just yeah. you go crazy otherwise. Yeah.
4: Well, I printed mm-hmm. out my bill and they took mm-hmm. it. We had, uh, there was a meeting on Monday night and it was uh, it's for REC that.
1: Um,
0: What's that?
4: The, uh, that's the Republican Executive Committee meeting. Well, it actually wasn't the, that meeting, but it was to do, to learn about Robert's role for REC. Robert rules are how they conduct the meeting, and mm-hmm. it's quite technical. But mm-hmm. So they decided to have some uh, a meeting about it, and this was actually our second meeting for that. But Dr. Redman came to tell everyone there about his second bill, and his second bill, his first bill is about recall, and recalls some good friends of mine. And they
1: hurt. Um, oh, I know all about that bill. A lot.
4: With, <laughs> I know yeah, a lot about that yeah, bill. you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. And uh-huh. we won't go into that, but, mm, but um, we, we it, just that we was support yeah, it because exactly. they're awesome. Yeah, yeah, they are. So, uh-huh. um but that was President's first bill, and he announced that a couple two weeks ago. And then mm-hmm. this week he announced the second bill, and it's going to be to protect the military's privacy and for them giving out their private information. So, um, so now it's interesting that he's was doing that, that had, uh,
1: but now I'm curious about that what because so they' certain information they do protect judges, they protect pol- politicians, they protect you know certain folks um, with their private information.
4: Well this was like a they're, bill, more, they're more valuable this than the rest bill, of bill
1: okay go ahead. This,
4: is, this was a bill that was intact. This bill was intact, but it they needed to redo it in 2020, and nobody did. So it was something oh. that has already been in place. But it was never, well, was it, I don't know, reactivated or something. It died in 2020. Okay, so then it's not in and place. he's okay, reactivating so, it.
1: Yeah. Let me, let me just uh, – so, so the legislature probably gets 5,000 bills. Of those, they might look at 100. Of those, they're going to pass 20. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just a huge amount that they don't have to go. Those bills, once they die in committee, they're dead. They have to be refiled the following legislative session. So that's what he did. Who's taking it up? So a lot of times bills, they'll consider a bill and say, well, we, we looked at it. We considered it. Then they don't take it up again. That's one of the ways that legislators back no, out this, of doing no, something that's actually, good. Okay, go The so way
4: he explained it was that this was actually in place. It was a law. It was oh. a statute or something. And, mm-hmm. and it – but it, it had a, it had an expiration date, and nobody ever extended Oh, really?
1: A sunset a provision, battery. as they say?
4: I guess that's how he says okay. it. I haven't read it yet, okay. but so that's what he announced at the meeting that night. But mm. I grabbed him beforehand and I'm like, Hey, mm. I've got a bill for you. And um, so, and I've gotten to know his representative, his aides in his office,
1: and okay. they're really, Good. Two
4: really nice girls. And I found out that he has an office here in Milton, so I'm ecstatic. Mm. I got but the can address, we, I got the phone numbers. And, can we
1: publicly announce the address yet, or is that still uh, he's still withholding that until yeah. for whatever reason? You can announce it. Go ahead. Well, if it's public, go for it. Where is it?
4: I don't know. I don't have it right here. Well, that's with okay. We'll get it. We'll I, get it later. I could yeah, put it, just it and His
1: other office is in yeah. Navarre.
4: Navarre, <laughs> Navarre. Okay. And yeah. he's got two two aides now, two um, uh-huh. office mm. people, and he's they're really a nice staff. young ladies. Oh boy. He has a staff. Yeah. And that's one cool. of them had worked with JR. She said that she had worked with JR, and she really enjoyed working. That would be with JR. J.R. Williams so in
1: the previous state representative from this the area. The
4: previous state representative, right? Okay.
1: <laughs> See, I got to I got to mention names because if you do local politics, then you, you it's just it's just natural to talk about it like everybody knows. But we got listeners all over the place. Yeah, though.
4: exactly. I want mean, to
1: I want to get the personalities. Yeah. And again, for our folks around the country, um, what happens in in Milton and, and Pensacola and our local counties here in the Panhandle of Florida? Politics doesn't change that much around the nation. You have your good people, you have your bad people, you have your corrupt people, you have your long-standing people, you have your new people, you know. And you want to, the most influence you're going to have is with the new people, especially if you help one of them get elected. And so Joel Rudman is our is our person for our state representative here uh, in Santa Rosa County, Florida, or at least part of it. And what's cool about him is he was on the show, so we know him. He knows us. So when we present him a bill, okay. he already knows about Action Radio. He knows this is what we do. So that helps. So all these all these connections, all these chats, all these uh, interactions, they all help. You know, it'll help the yeah. process. Yeah, uh-huh. back to you, Diane. <laughs> I just like well, saying
4: that. He said, "I, I um had also spoken with him about Eric and about um. Define. fine he, he told the advice that he told me was that mm-hmm. he said, find out what states uh, are getting rid of the machine. Find out what states are getting rid of Eric. And he goes, and if I have this kind of avenue I can walk up and say." To mm-hmm. his other representatives and they go look what Louisiana is doing or look what you know Louisiana yeah, that's is, called it, model legislation.
1: Yeah, it's called model legislation. Exactly. In other words, it's very easy. Well, like I said, I want to I want to make sure everybody else. I, I'm trying to catch everybody else up to speed here. But if you have a model, and I, I love model legislation. If we don't have to write a bill, I love it. In fact, we're going to have a whole section on our website yeah. once I get to a webmaster um, that I trust to actually mess with our website. That we're going to have a section on well, model said, legislation.
4: And- hmm? I gave him a, a huge report that I'd already printed up. I sent it. I handed it to him oh, okay. and I emailed it to him. Tell me. But like the other countries well the other countries that don't use uh, machines are Germany, Canada, and France. So, um, and I wrote. I gave him the links for all of those. They only use paper ballots. They don't use. And I think uh, it's hand counting in most provinces in Canada. It's not all. France mm-hmm. uses no machines. that said they only use paper ballots, and Germany only uses uh, they do hand count paper ballots. So I sent him all those links, yeah. and then also uh, the machines that recently voted to remove the machines were uh, Claiborne County, Arkansas, County Georgia, and Otero County, New Mexico. And that's David Clements of here.
1: Fulton's interesting. That's that's Atlanta, right? Fulton County, Georgia is Atlanta.
0: Isn't
4: it? That Well, it was the city takes over election control from Fulton County. So I think it was uh, the city in Fulton County. The,
1: but it's not uh, Atlanta. Because Atlanta is one of the more controversial know. hotbeds of Democrat fraud, as are all big cities, quite honestly. Philadelphia, Atlanta, you know, all these different places. Uh, even even okay, city like Phoenix, know. which is Republican, is me look that up. still fraud. Yeah. I'm looking it up. I think Atlanta's in Fulton County, so I'm, I'm curious. Did Atlanta get rid of their machine? I'd be very surprised if Atlanta got rid of it. It might be a city within Fulton County. Or did Fulton County – well, that's a good, good question. Did Fulton County get rid of their uh, – because Georgia is incredibly corrupt. The idea that Georgia is not a you know, a deeply conservative state is, is is insane. That doesn't make any sense.
4: It says Georgia City takes over election control from Fulton County. Let me find it.
1: So are they are they must be a city within – yeah, because there must be okay. a city with – so Atlanta, So Fulton County extends beyond Atlanta, which is unusual because Atlanta's huge.
4: Okay, it's the city of Milton, Georgia, voted unanimously to take responsibility for our municipal elections away from Fulton County, Georgia, control.
1: Milton? Did you say Milton, Georgia?
4: Mil- Milton, Georgia. The city of Georgia. You know what we
1: need to do? Is it spelled the same way, M-I-L-T-O-N? Yes. Okay, here's what we need to do. We need to contact them, and we need to be sister cities with Milton, Georgia. We oh. need to be.
4: We <laughs> need to that's be a sis- good idea.
1: Thank you. We need to be sister cities in electoral in electoral uh, integrity. <laughs> so come up with a really cheesy title, <laughs> something kind of fun. And so yeah, I like that one: sister cities in electoral integrity, or something like that. And propose it to whoever the groups are there, whatever their electoral groups, their activists. Everybody, you know, uh, there's people like us out there. So let's let's do a let's do a, a joint thing. Maybe we can get all the Miltons around the country. Wouldn't that be funny? I don't know. Go with it. See what happens. Oh, that would be true. Make some calls. <laughs> you know, do do your thing. Do what you do best. So do do that voodoo that you do so well. <clears throat> if I can sing Cole Porter badly. <laughs> anyway.
4: What? Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Well, the other thing that I put on the report was that um, they found a dual tabulation issue was in uh, found in ES&S machines in Volusia County, Florida. So I gave that him that link. Uh-huh. There was also uh, a New Jersey race that flipped after voting machine irregularities. I gave him that link,
0: uh-huh.
4: and then in Decatur, Georgia, that Michelle Long Spears, when she lost her race, uh, her primary, race, she's a Democrat and she knew she'd voted in her own precinct and. She lost her race and she just asked for the vote wait. count in each precinct and her precinct was zero. And she knew she and her husband had voted for herself. And so she actually forced a hand count and she won her primary. So, um, okay, so
1: wait a minute. This is the, the, hold on a second. As soon as you said the word Democrat, you got my interest. So, wait a minute. So, this is yep. Democrat yep. that got vote frauded by the Democrat party. Okay, now wait a minute. This is like the the Republicans getting rid of all the well, getting rid of all the American first people. Well, it doesn't matter though. But the fact that uh, that she had she won what's well, going to be primary. all
4: Democrats going to be all Democrats. Well, I oh,
1: know the but that's not the point. But the point is the Democrats. I mean, the Democrats fraud Republicans. They're the ones that overturn Republican elections. This is a Democrat that they overturned. I'm interested. Why was that? What is it? Are, and are the Democrats? You know, is this a whole new branch of, uh, uh, of fraud that the Democrats are, are frauding their own Democrats? Because usually they work all this stuff out ahead of well, time and they just run one. So what was it, what is it about her that they didn't want her to win? That's what I'm curious about.
4: Maybe she's an honest
1: Democrat. <laughs> well, in other words, this is this is for next week. This is something interesting. This is something maybe we can use. Maybe we can talk about this. See the Democrats, you know, eat their own, <laughs> or whatever it is, or something like that. They're like rugby players, you know, they, they kill their own children or something mm-hmm. like I don't whatever, you know. But uh, let's just say rugby players either dead or something, you know, because rugby is a rough game. Um, it's like American football yeah. a lot of padding and, and twice as fast. <clears throat> yeah.
4: I played. And no time- I, I played rugby.
1: Oh, see, you know, yeah, twice as I fast, no padding, and there's no and there's no timeouts, and you have all your teeth, which is good. Yeah. Yeah.
4: <laughs> I did. I played rugby. I played one game. That's <laughs> it. I've had
1: enough. Was that enough? Back in okay, yeah. my twenties. Yeah. Yeah, see, I had to play, uh, when I was in Australia, they they made me play Australian rules football, which I'm terrible at. I'm just not, I'm not a big team sports person. With a big ball, no, I can't do it. I tried. I mean, I did my best. (laughs) I did better with things like, you know, tennis and crew team and stuff like that because they made us play sports in Australia. It's really interesting. Anyway, uh, but football, nope, terrible. Had the mouth guard the whole bit, you know, the the cleats, you know, ran in the mud and played in Mm -hmm. the rain. And uh, we were terrible. But it was okay. Our whole team was terrible. So it was all right. We were like the nerds. (laughs) We were the nerd school, you know, the the, the other private schools, uh, the, the, the tough kids. You know the jobs out there to beat us every time. We didn't care though because you know we, we were having fun. Um, but anyway, they just they, our school just cared that we got it and tried. <laughs> they, we're the B and they knew it was going to happen anyway. But uh, but the point is yeah. it, it, this this to me is interesting that a Democrat did not uh, was primaried out for some reason and they were stupid enough to make it zero. I mean that's idiotic. Nobody gets yeah. no votes. There's well, it, was, it somebody wasn't out just there.
4: one precinct. It wasn't oh. just one precinct that she had zero votes in. It was multiple precincts that she had zero votes in. <laughs> <laughs> And which they later found out was not true. Um, you
1: know what? Oh, she won. The, she might be interested to get on the show uh, if you're feeling brave, because you know. Well, it, I mean, the show's well, open to Democrats. She,
4: what I didn't, what I didn't look up is if she actually won the race in November. Oh, the general? That's well,
1: it, yeah. if, you, if you're looking for homework, you know me. Every, every time you present something, you have like you know, 10 extra questions. But she'd be an interesting person to have on. I'd like to get more Democrats on the show, quite honestly. You know, I offered uh, Rebecca Jones. She came out with the, the late, her latest, you know, false accusation against Matt Gates for a sex scandal. I, I post that on our special investigations page. Because the Democrats do this all the time. In fact, I talked to Matt Gates about it when he was on my show back at WBY. You know, Jim Jordan had a scandal. Um, Herman Cain. You know, Trump had several. I mean, they just do that. They just, you know, when in doubt, you know, uh, they accuse uh, Republicans of what they're doing in the back rooms themselves. And, but it'd be interesting to see a Democrat victim of Democrat vote fraud. I just find that interesting. Be an interesting person to get on the show if yeah. we can. And liberals welcome the call. Don't think it's a conservative show. We're a show about freedom. And if you're, you know, a decent, freedom-loving American, I don't care where you are on the political spectrum. Um, I mean, you're not going to be at the, the extreme ends, obviously, you know. But, uh, but you know, decent li- liberals who love this country, you know, who just believe in more government policies for solutions and more money as opposed to those of us who believe in uh, more independent solutions and uh, personal responsibility, you know, I can talk to those folks. You know, we still love the country. What I can't talk to are the Marxists that just want to oppress everybody and, and be dictators like the World Economic Forum people. They're welcome on the show, but you're going to get an argument. I mean, I just tell you, but a but a decent liberal. I wish we had more like just regular liberals that just disagreed on policy issues that we could talk to. And this Democrat might be that kind of yeah. person. That's why that's why I'm interested. So you never know.
4: Hmm. Well, I think – Well, I've got a lot on my plate right now. Maybe in a week or two, I was Oh, it's all, all right. Time.
1: We're on a schedule. But, yeah, uh, besides, if yeah. she didn't win, then yeah. she's got lots of time.
4: all <laughs> so, you know. I know. I need to find out if she won or not. Yeah okay. Uh, yeah okay okay and then uh, also on my report I put that uh, the states that have pulled out of Eric and Alabama I pulled out of Eric Louisiana I pulled out of Eric and Michigan has a lawsuit against Eric I tried to look to see if that was one or because if that's been on the books for a little while I don't, and I didn't find any information any updated information if it was you know still a lawsuit or if it was dropped or what but um, they were assuming – and that's all about giving out private, private information.
1: doesn't so want to combine that in with uh, our bill here. Yeah, so we should define ERIC once yeah. again so people know it's an acronym for Election – I don't know, Reactionary Idiosyncrasy. What does it stand for? <laughs> what does it stand for? Uh, E-R-I-C.
4: Registration Information Center. Election Registration
1: Registration Information Center. I was thinking of something much more scandalous. You know, election nice.
4: reduction indoctrination that, control. That, that's <laughs> Sorry, what they do. Mind. They come up with the names for these things that are mm-hmm. just make it sound like it's really good. Mm. That's to make us suspicious. They've done it for so many things. I well, have a long list of...
1: A, look at any agency. George the government. Soros. I send Yeah.
4: I sent it to you. Well, yeah. well, it to you George Soros' NGOs, that whole long list of it, and the names are hilarious. How
1: did you send that? Was it email yeah. or, or Facebook or what?
4: I sent to you. I think I sent
1: you an email. Okay, let me check.
4: We've got it. We got. 40. I'm
1: getting a lot of emails now because the show is growing, so I got to be more careful. Uh, I, I've divided them up into into a couple of different ones.
4: What about folders?
1: I've got folders. I've got like 30 folders okay. on my computer screen. Oh, oh yeah. I have
4: 120.
1: Oh well, good for you. I'm impressed.
4: <laughs> I'm very Mine organized. Might go back several
1: years so with lots in them. Yeah, yeah, I guess you must be. Wow. Well,
4: mine goes back to 2010. So. Oh, he's... well, 2010, 2010. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I need to clean out a bunch of them. I'm probably going to run out of room.
1: Yeah. I don't see the email here, but that's okay. I'll take a look. But, uh, yeah. Oh, here it is. Uh, Soros Funded Organizations. Yeah. And you gave me a link. Okay. Oh, that's another person you told me about that we're supposed to get on with them. Oh, yes. I think I saw this, actually. Let me see where the oh that's not the where's where's How the How many list? are on there? This is looking into NGOs, trust foundations, think tanks, candidates, and connecting the dots. Let me see here now. I don't recognize where are the NGOs. Oh no, oh, she's got no. Oh, this is an entire thing of websites. So you got daily news, and then she has got um, opposition stuff. Uh, NWO, what New World Order uh, Education. This was, hang on. That would be the January 6th. <laughs> Interesting date, by the way. <laughs> oh, then i got another one here. Uh, George, <laughs> Sor, George Soros Fund Organizations. Oh, I think this one, I may have this on my desktop, too. I'll, I'll take a look. I, 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 I'll prop it up now. I think we, I don't have so many websites, it's going to cancel me out. That was a problem, too. You have too many websites. You, you, the, the The random memory kind of goes crazy on the computer and doesn't like it, but we're good. Anyway, we've got to get to the bill, too. So, we're going to get to, so once we get the story – oh, look at all those things. Yes, I'm going to save that to my desktop. That looks just way too much fun. do 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 Come on, computer. Yep, there we go.
4: That's when we need to start. I, I checked – one thing that I was looking for also uh-huh. when we started looking into the ballot printing was to see if that organization, Evergreen, was one of George Soros' the funded Open Society Foundations. Uh-huh. anywhere involved in that so that's another and evergreen what's evergreen printing that's our that's who prints our uh, postcards here in San County evergreen printing mm. so it's they amazing what privately contracted
1: me. yeah it's it's just it's, it's so much that's privately contracted it's scary
4: it's an ngo they, they they have all of our private information and they're responsible for sending out all the postcards I are they re- mm-hmm. are they partly responsible for not getting the postcards to before?
0: I'm
1: sure. You know, NGOs are non governmental organizations. This, yeah, but, it's, but they have yeah. the power of governments a lot of times, or they're chartered by governments. So governments use them to do things that governments can't do themselves.
4: So they have all of our private information.
1: Mm, how about that? All
4: our mailing information, and and then they also offer this carrot to be able to to mail all this out cheaper for our mm-hmm. county. So. Um, but that name triggers me because I that is a, a name that Hillary Clinton's used a lot. So Evergreen? Uh, her, is that like her name code name?
1: Is that her Secret Service Secret code Service. name?
4: That was her speaker. Really? Yeah.
1: Not Harpy? Yeah. I'm just kidding.
4: <laughs> but I when I see that name it really it it makes me want to look into him. Mm. put that way.
2: And I love your I suspicious mind. Jeff, yeah.
4: It, yeah, um, the Jersky, what's his first name? The guy that did the Red Billy Road stuff. I asked I asked him um to look into it as well. I haven't heard if he has or not. Because he looks into Fiddler printing into hmm. another one. Um they we don't use them Fiddler's in Florida. And Fiddler's the one that I told you about that, that um, they it was like a really hundred year old operation company that was bought out a few years ago and their CEO, president, or whatever, she's a huge donator to mm-hmm. Action, Action Blue. So It'll be
1: interesting to do. Yeah. Here's another idea for a bill that uh, either somewhere on the voter information card or voter information pamphlet or on the website of all of our local, uh, what are they, SOEs, uh, something, uh, Secretary of, of Elections. Or the elections offices, they should publish a list of every corporation that they contract with, and what that corporation does, yeah. and, and basic information. So, so in other words, when you get your voter information packet, you know it should say, you know, this election brought to you by Evergreen, Eric, you know, uh, George Soros, you know, and just all and the and the companies and, and what they do. You know, Evergreen yeah. printed the ballots. Their co- their corporate website is you know, for information contacts, you know, so, and have a contact person. So I think they should publish that. Well, another. And, and oh, go ahead.
4: Yeah. Another another concerning thing with Fiddler Printing was that Mark Early, he's like one of the, the top SOE, Secretary of Elections for Florida. Um, his wife, and I forget what her name is, Stacey Rodriguez, I think. Mrs. Early. She goes by Rodriguez. Oh. She's a oh. – yeah, exactly. She doesn't go by hmm. Early for the, hmm. the Fiddler Printing here in Florida. She goes by Stacey Rodriguez.
0: Isn't that and convenient? I, that is
4: a conflict. a conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. He's charged, I think Fiddler prints 70. From what I understand, they is print 75 percent of the ballots before So, um, yeah.
1: There's there's a there's a report a right of, there. <laughs> there's, there's a future. A report lot of conflict of you know,
3: interest.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, see, we need to report these things. But if we start if we start having a, a bill that says that the elections offices have to publish the companies they contract with and what they do and what products they're supplying. Evergreen supplies the ballot, uh, ES and, e, and S supply the DS 200 um, election machine or vote counting machine, those kind of things. We need to know that, you know, because by the time you get to election day and you see this awful machine staring you in the face and somebody who I'm not particularly fond of greeting me. <laughs> that's another story. Um, but the point was that I couldn't ask questions. And I have my ballot in my hand. There's people waiting. You can't ask then. You've got to ask before the election you know, and do things yeah, then. Sure. And so we need to know, we need to know, uh, uh, you know, uh, there should be in the voter information pamphlet or on the website all the companies that these election offices contract with, they do. There's a bill right there. Yeah. yeah. Put it to your group. We're also... Let's get another bill well, writer of folks you know.
4: I'm serious. Yeah. Definitely. We, um, we're also going to be hopefully counting the 2020 ballots here pretty soon um, in... Mm-hmm. We I saw a video online that it, it was really cool because we've never counted hand-counted ballots before our group hasn't, and so hmm. we can't touch the ballots. I, I don't know. I'm a poll worker. I think I should be able to touch the ballots if I get sworn in. But You I can't touch it. the ballots? Uh, Would
1: you wear no, like, gloves or something to keep them hermetically sealed or what?
4: No, you can't touch them at all. You have to hire somebody from the SOE's office to be able to get the ballots out and to... To present them to us where we can count them where we're not touching them, so that's the problem. Trying to put them up on the wall, but I did that through Came, it came the canvassing board where mm-hmm. we were looking at the signatures that come in on the mail-in ballots, and it's right. you can't see it very good. So there was a video that came out from on one of my websites, and it was really cool. They had taken um, it was a like, uh, almost like a clothesline, and then you have like a wheel on one end and a wheel on the other, and you just uh, make it a giant circle. It's like you, hard to explain. So you have like a 10 foot desk and you can mm-hmm. put chairs on one side of it. Like you can have four people to look at ballots and you have a clothesline that will run in front of them, like left to right at eye level. So mm-hmm. you can have clothes pins like you're hanging up clothes, but you hang up ballots instead. And then you put them on like a little reel on each end and you just uh, like keep spinning them through and you stop in front of each person so they can count the ballots and they're not actually touching the ballot. So you'd have the employees at either end of the table to hmm. put them on. Except ballot marks are off. small then,
0: though.
1: You got to be close enough to see the marks because they're not that big.
4: Yeah, they'd be right, they'd be right in front of you. You'd be on the table oh, so you'd be like a foot from it where you're looking oh, at it, but right. you're not touching it and it stops mm-hmm. right in front of you. Say, okay, and then they can move it down one. And so you'd have four people counting the same ballot. So you get a no, really makes good tally, yeah. So because um, everybody slips up once a in a while, cool idea.
1: And three out of four ain't bad. Um, what's this reminds yeah. me? do you ever see the, the videos of the Arizona audit where they had those little turnstile things? They, they turned the ballot. They had these these triangle things, and they they'd spin the spin the ballot instead of the bottle. <laughs> they'd spin the ballot, and each person would record. Yeah. And then they'd take a ballot off, but anyway. So it sounds similar to that maybe a little different. Yeah. But you know, it's the basic idea. Yeah, okay. but
4: that that sounds a lot more complicated cuz you know, you have to have a mm-hmm. whole spinning thing. This, this yeah. is just like you buy two what are those? There's like, I forget the name. Of it. It's like a little reel that that you could take a rope, I mean like a like a nylon rope and spin it through this and just have like one loop that so would just keep going around in a circle. Yeah, I know, kind of know, of having, it, I,
1: I, I have to see a picture. I can't really visualize it, you yeah. know. Okay. Well, I want to get to the actual bill itself, uh, you know, how, how are okay. we doing in our story here? It's, it's just We're a ahead. time check. I just want to make sure that we have. Okay. So let's talk about, so we put an introduction onto this and we might also start with the bullet points. Yeah. i will get your Facebook one here. Uh, or, or just took it, I think you took it right from the intro of the bill, uh, but let's do that. Let's, let's go over what this bill does, why you wrote it. And just the, you've got, uh, I think four, um, four areas that this is supposed to cover. So let's, let's hit those so people understand this. Then we'll have a oh, you complete know what I didn't report What's that.
4: You know what I should have added to this is that it was for Dan Anthony, too, that I I wrote the bill in honor of Pete Anthony. Too, who well, is that's the, on the bill. Our state. Well, but it's not in my, in my intro. I should have put it in my intro.
1: Well, oh, okay. So, well, so, let me um, go, so let me go right to the, the bill itself. It says the Florida Election Integrity Bill of 2023 by Diane Warner and Greg Fengles. That's us. Oh, boy. January 20th, 2023. So there we go. And then it says the Florida Election Integrity Bill. We've got a subheading by us again. And it says, in memory of Pete Antonucci, who was actively investigating voter fraud before his sudden and unexpected death. You should tell folks, uh, and me included too, because i like to hear the story again, who Pete Antonucci is. Um,
4: DeSantis, Governor DeSantis, appointed Pete as one of the chief investigators for election fraud for Mm -hmm. Florida. And Pete was actively investigating. He uh, was worried about the registration. And there's a video of him, of a guy named Chris, um, is it Matthews? I can't remember. He's a reporter. And he caught. Oh, Chris uh, Matthews?
1: Oh, I remember he him. Finished. He was on uh, one of the morning he, shows. Yeah. Tip uh, O'Neill's he he uh, in his youth.
4: <clears throat> he he did. Um, he interviewed Pete right mm-hmm. before he died, and Pete had, uh, he said it in the video that he was, had major concerns about the registration mm-hmm. for voters, and he said it was very fraudulent, and he was very emphatic about it, and he was one of the few people who was really investigating abuse and mm-hmm. this uh, voter fraud, and he was, from what I understand, he, when he died, he was up at the employee's office in, or at the his office in Tallahassee, and he would have had a heated conversation with someone, and walked out in the hall and died of a massive heart attack. Wow! So um I know, and I'm like, it, it made me have real concerns for him that I don't know well, if he had a COVID shot. I don't know if well, he, that's what I was thinking. Somebody was really trying this? to take him out because he's he's well, this year. No, it was last year. It was right, it was it was last year. It was right before I've got the date.
1: Somewhere. Um Well last year I mean, was twenty twenty two, that makes but, sense then. See uh, what we know of COVID shots is, and what I know from uh from the doctor's reports on, on oh, I forgot his first name, Dar Mal, you know, the, the football player, the Buffalo Bills player.
0: Harmon Hamlin. Harman. Darman Hamlin? Yeah. Hamlin. Uh, yeah.
1: That adrenaline, you know, a surge of adrenaline uh, is, is like a preemptive heart attack thing. So your heart has to be strong enough yeah. to take that surge of adrenaline when you need that extra energy, the fight or flight thing. And so if you've had a heated argument and that would cause a rise in blood pressure and a surge of adrenaline. You and know, nobody's so had, doing it. We got a lot
4: of cover up. There's not a lot of people well, up everywhere. on the autopsy. Oh, yeah.
1: Anybody well They're we not. were speculating on, uh, on on diamond the other day too. Of the diamond. diamond and silk
4: well her, we her did, autopsy came out. I mean, her, oh. her cause of death came out, and I have that I, – I got I a thought this morning, and it said they did not do an autopsy, that only oh. somebody in Los Angeles <laughs> – that makes me
2: suspicious in itself – Right,
0: That yeah. a doctor
4: in Los Angeles did her cause of death and said it was because she had high blood pressure for her whole life or something. And I'm Well, like, lots okay. of people have
1: high blood pressure their whole life, but she was 53, yeah. 54 years old. She was young. And she was going around the country, and she's working 12 hours a day or 15 hours a day, whatever she was Well,
4: nobody – I don't think that they really said that they were vaccinated, but now you've got um, – wait, which one died? Diamond was – Diamond was the one that died. Silk is the one that was talking in the house. Silk at so um,
1: the funeral. Yeah, she just was talking in the funeral. Yes. Yeah. Well, here's the question, and though. Conservative. she said it
4: right in front of Trump. Well, she said it right in front of Trump that this the vaccine killed her, that – who said that? Trump is Zilted? right there. Silked it, yeah.
0: Is
1: that on tape somewhere?
4: And yes. I have it on my, I put it on, put it on the. um Where? On our Facebook page.
1: Which one? In, In election integrity?
4: Uh, It's on mine. I, sure I put it on election integrity. Oh, it's on your
1: own? Oh. See, this is an undiscovered uh, thing. is conservatives who've had the vaccine, who took the shot. Even though we all talked about, you know, we all said, don't do it. But this is not a conservative or a liberal issue. This is a personal issue. People, you know, it depends on your level of fear and your level of investigation. If you investigated the jab and you investigated COVID, you would have no fear because you'd know what you were dealing with. Basically a flu bug, you know, with some enhancements, you know. But
4: go ahead. What would you find? I put it on my page. It's I not. I haven't looked. I'm, I, I have it twice on my page because of the second time I put Trump was there. Hmm. He now has no excuses for to keep pushing the shot. And, well, he doesn't yeah, push still, the shot he, though.
1: He hasn't pushed the shot for oh, months. In fact, when oh, he does, okay. Well, I need to. Talk, I need to find out oh, about he, that because, has. Hmm. he has. Yeah. And See, he it, shouldn't, and he's taking it he himself. Needs to That's stop. the other problem. He does need to stop. Well. Yeah. And, and here's the thing too. This is this is kind of a this might even be an off the air discussion, but uh, I, I do believe we're going to be associated with the Trump campaign. I do believe that some of our citizen legislation will make it into the Trump campaign, you know, before the end of this year. I also know Woo-hoo. that if yeah, well, I mean, I can't promise. I don't know. I mean, nothing's definite yet. But I'm just saying we got Christina Bob on the show tomorrow. It's Trump's attorney. You don't get yeah. much closer than that. Yeah. I've had Peter Navarro on the show, yeah. and he agreed to come back. So we're already connected with the Trump campaign. But the question is, how do we approach? Covid and the jab, because I screamed against the Trump administration, you know, ever since February of, uh, of 2020. I mean, I'm I'm well documented. If they go back, if uh, you know, Secret Service goes back and listens to all our shows, and you know, whenever they do a search on when Trump comes up, they're going to hear me criticizing him because he was wrong. Everything he did once once they uh, they adopted the Obama um, pandemic playbook and let Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fascist. You know, kick Trump off the stage and have him be a sideline person when that little dictator took uh, uh, took charge and Trump led him. Ever since then, everything went downhill. As long as Trump was in charge, when well, he banned travel from China, things were good. But the minute fascists, my theory, uh, go ahead,
4: my theory mm-hmm. is that he took hydroxychloroquine.
0: Oh, I know he did. Well, I don't know, but I'm sure he did.
4: Made, but that's what he's calling his vaccination from Pfizer. It's hydroxychloroquine.
0: Oh,
1: he did not.
4: Hey, see, um, so how
1: do you get COVID twice?
4: So how do you get COVID then?
1: You just got COVID like people normally do. They get sick. It's
4: well, like normal people do. Yeah. Everybody, okay. I got COVID. So, I didn't
1: have a vaccine. Yeah, I had COVID too because we, before we knew what it was. So we all, actually we all had
4: exactly. it. Exactly.
1: You know, we all got it. You know, the question is, did, well, we're all exposed to it. Uh, what is it that uh, Dr. McCullough, when he was on the show a week ago, Wednesday, said that, uh, well, last week, he said that 94% of Americans have had COVID. Well, if 94% of Americans yeah. have had COVID, that's, that's beyond herd immunity. That's, that's almost a, herd immunity that's almost, for
0: sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's way beyond herd immunity. It's like 70% or 60 whatever it is. But in other words, enough people have it so they're immune. The disease really can't make its way around society. So, yeah, 94% of the people have already had COVID. Why would you even think about a vaccine? Why do we still have an emergency? That's just pure propaganda and, and, and you know, milking the dollar. You know, that's, and people are dying because of it. So that's crazy. So if 90, if ninety four percent of the people have had COVID, that means that a hundred percent of the people, unless they're in an isolation chamber somewhere, have been exposed to COVID. So what's the big deal? We've all we've all been through it. Yeah. You know. So then, why is Trump pushing? Uh, why would he even think about pushing a vaccine? So my question is, I'm sort of dancing around. Is how do we approach this when we, meaning us, Action Radio, meet Donald Trump? How do we? How do we sort of? Talk about this without getting ourselves, you know, kicked out of the office and saying, "You know, sir, I'm I, I, sorry, I think you're wrong." <laughs> you know, I mean, how do I say that nicely, or do I say that, or do I, I avoid have no the whole thing?
4: Idea. Okay, I you have know. no idea. We'll, we'll, off, we'll strategize that's an off the of air conversation. Yeah, I know. I yeah, exactly. just
1: I'm raising the question now. we're not going to come up with our answer. We're not going to tell you what we're going to do. You know, but it's an interesting question.
4: I'm actually sending this into Election Integrity to the, um, the, the Silk video. I'm putting it right into Election Integrity. Yeah. I think I already did, but it will be in there well, twice now. Because a Trump art. bought a Trump Go ahead. For the whole funeral. He paid for, he's, he, I have him on videotape telling him,
0: oh, oh, like, I'll
4: pay for, I'll pay for wow. anything that she wants for her funeral. And he was sitting right there during her whole speech. So she, he can't deny that there's a lot of injury from this now. You know, he's kind of called him Mountain and Well, see,
1: now, I thought thing, I thought things changed because I watched his speeches at all the rallies, and uh, you know, a lot of the stuff like 97 percent of it's the same. <laughs> you know, but there's the you know, and the three percent is new news or whatever he, he's talking about that's interesting. So that's the part that I listen for. But I also notice things that aren't
4: he's toned there. It. He's toned it down. He's toned. He it doesn't. A lot. There
1: were several rallies where he never mentioned you know, the snake oil jab at all. And I thought he had changed his position yeah. on that. Now, maybe, yeah. but that's 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 what I hear from the speeches, that he's, he's not talking about it anymore. Now, what he personally believes, I have no idea. And if Silk yeah. said that, to, see, here's the thing, too, um, that, um, you know, a lot of conservatives who out of fear took the jab, they're not going to want to admit it, you know, because, just because. Well, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe that's not a question, but so that was our first thought. A lot of us independently thought that, and then we thought, no, she's she's against the jab. She's why would she take it? That doesn't make any sense. But we don't know what people do in their personal lives compared to uh, their public front. So who knows?
4: Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I just I hope know.
4: that anyone who did who anyone who did get this as a nurse, I please mm-hmm. go check your D. Get your doctor to check your D-dimer, and if you're that's a, a D, capital D. Mm D-dimer checks for a blood clot. And if your doctor won't do it, get a better doctor. And they've got, I mean, I know that um, Judy Makovich, she has uh, the medication that she says is is decent. I mean, I think about people that that Mm -hmm. I know in my life that they had massive heart attacks. And I'm like, if you had some nitro, if you had, you know, at least chew an aspirin and put it underneath your tongue if you can take aspirin. But I mean, it's something to open up, and it will um, take your vessels and expand them a little bit, and let you, that you be able to get the blood around these clots. If you've got the, and you've got to yeah. get these clots removed if you get them. But be careful with your body. There's too many people dying of a heart attack right now. We gotta, and they need to be checking all these athletes, and they all need to be. Uh, oh, I just get so frustrated. They, they, yeah. All heart well, is I think cardio miracle a, a is one shot. of
1: the. Cardio Miracle is one of the products yeah. that Judy recommends. That's
0: and Judy. That someone,
1: so yeah. go to the real, the real dot com. That's the real uh, dot com. The real Dr. And I'm going to take some of those too. And I never took the jab. You know what's interesting? The the the, the one thing that we found out from heart surgery uh, is that my arteries are clear. And they were surprised. They were because nice. you know middle aged middle age white guy right? You know eating the normal diet, but I don't eat the normal diet. Fruits, vegetables, fish, eggs. You know, I eat really natural stuff, and I, and I have all my life. Well, once I start taking over from, you know, yeah. the parents' diet, you know, when, when you, you stop with the, the bologna sandwiches when you get old enough to realize what it is. Um, but, you know, but ever since a teenager, you know, I, I've been, uh, you know, getting progressively more careful. And by mid-20s, when I was on my own out of college, fruits, vegetables, you know, chicken, fish, eggs, all that kind of stuff. I've always You know, I've always done that. My arteries are, are, are completely clear. Go figure. I'm in my 60s. Yeah. you know, so so it okay. can't be done. You know, so yeah. but it's diet. Well, but I, I had I had a valve problem. They had to they had to trim a valve. But just one of the byproducts of that was I really got they really looked at my arteries and said, are pretty clear arteries there. We're we're kind of surprised. That's a good thing. Yeah, it is a good thing, but we're still surprised because you know, most people have, you know, have uh back have built up in their arteries and I don't, which is weird, but anyway, I'm happy.
4: But there's so, a, There's another a lot of uh-huh. treatments. Well, there's a lot of treatments out there that can help people. And I know I'm going to plug Chancy, um, Chancy Terry. and uh, oh, go the, for this it. This element is right here in in Pay. They moved to Pay, Florida. She's at Five Points. But um, she and Brian, uh, I don't know Brian's last name.
1: Well, they've been on the show. Chancy's been on, on the show too. a bunch of times. Yeah. Brian was on one.
4: Awesome. And mm-hmm. they've got uh, it's uh, high elevation oxygen. And it basically you take you up to ten thousand feet or something like you're at ten thousand feet with your oxygen and bring you back down to one hundred percent and take you back up. They do it like three or four times and it really helps mm. to uh, clear out your lungs. And Be like a day it, of flight it instruction. It. It's really, <laughs> but it's helping so many people. I have a friend yeah. that um, she was. We were at this is just kind of a side story, but she we were at Publix and uh, I saw her in there and she's actually helped with a lot of election integrity, and she was saying that her her um it was her mate her boyfriend was mm-hmm. really really sick. she'd gone out of town she came back gonna die and
0: mm-hmm.
4: um and I said, well, I tell them to go out to see turbo too that's when they were out and go free, but they've since moved right. into town but
1: um I have to go visit he went out get them on the show I, yeah i
4: well, I saw her later, and she's like, Diane, she said, you saved his life. And I'm like, well, I didn't. Brian did. you know? Like turbo 02. She's like, I think he would have died if he hadn't had that treatment. And wow. she said he, he couldn't even get out of bed. And so she completely, a 100% shot? believes that, that they saved him. I yeah. don't did he know. Did have – yeah. I, I didn't See, know. here's the thing, too. So he was I, so sick.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I used to have a – Go ahead, they
4: first. They also treat cancer. I think oh, that wow. it really helps with cancer, cancer patients <laughs> because it helps to revive your uh, red blood cells. Yep. And it will help you fight infection and fight. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Between that, if I had cancer, I'm telling mm-hmm. you, I would be taking every and I would be because. Well, that's a whole nother rabbit hole. But I would be doing well, that, and
2: I'd be doing. We the have a.
1: Treatment. We have a medical uh, freedom component to our report here, which we can always you know jump yes. to at any time. So that's that's fair game. Yeah. Um, the the one thing well, there's the a, reason in the
4: the blood smears. A lot of cancer patients right now, they did blood smears on them and they had parasites in them. And so a lot, oh. I do believe a lot of cancer is actually from parasites. Uh-huh. And if you even NIH, uh-huh. yeah, even NIH, the uh, National Institute of Health, um, even they say have all these different uh, ways that they think that ivermectin helps cure cancer. So, uh-huh. I mean, if I had cancer, that'd be my go-to thing. I would try ivermectin. I don't. You have to figure out the dosages on it, but I'd be trying that and I'd be trying that oxygen. I'd be buying one of those oxygen machines. I think they're like $5,000 <laughs> and put in your, well, let's, I don't really um, want to have let's one. Let's get just to, on
1: the show. Yeah. I got to get him back on the show, yeah. but uh, I used to do she's a PSA. Awesome. She is awesome. Uh, well, she was on for, for several months. So Chancey is, you know, our really wellness woman. The
4: really massages too. She okay. does really good massages too. Sign
1: me up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. But what I want to do, what I used to play, I used to play a PSA. In fact, I played it for somebody recently. Uh, it was Rebecca Hardy, who's the, the Texans for Vaccine Choice. She was on I played her this. And I said, we can't play this anymore because I said, once you take the, the, the jab, you're done. You know, there's nothing you can do about it. And then Judy Mikovits was on the show. And she says, Greg, that's not true anymore. Oh, really? <laughs> then I heard about Cardio Miracle and Thank some of these other things to, to break up the blood clots. So there's a lot of treatments if you're vaccine injured. But we need to start speaking about this as vaccine injury. So what we need to do is not is, is people need to understand we're not blaming you for getting the, the jab. Yes, we think it's the wrong thing to do no, but if it's done, it's done. You know, it's like okay, so don't do it again, and let's get you let's fix you up as much as possible. So don't take any more jabs. That's the first rule. And the second rule is go get things like Cardio Miracle and go see folks like Chansey Terry at Fifth Element and go uh, to Judy's site, the real dot you know, and go find out uh, these treatments because they're good and they're out there they natural treatments, and I don't know if they're breaking up blood clots or how they work exactly. I should get Chancy back on to explain that. Vaccine recovery. Well, I
4: think that it can mm-hmm. – I think that there's some – there's one – it was called – I got a picture of it, and it was called Nitro something. It can help save your life in the meantime and while mm-hmm. you can go get some help to get rid of the blood clots if that's what's causing yep. it. Yep. But, you know, just have something that you carry on you all the time. I mean, because, hmm. and especially if you're going to be exerting yourself, and uh, always, if you can take aspirin, have one and chew it and put it underneath your tongue, even two of them, it'll help open up your blood vessels, keep you alive. So. Um,
1: well, here's a question. Here's it, a question for next week, too. Go ahead. No, keep going. I just thought of something.
4: Um, I, was, I saw one... Uh, and it was it was actually on InfoWars. it's called Nitric boost and mm. um they i know that that would is one that you could keep with you just to give you a it would help at night well mm-hmm. nitroglycerin they have those little tablets that you can put underneath your that's tongue for heart. And that will immediately help you if you're having a heart attack exactly yeah
1: that's heart attack stuff yeah yeah And it is nitroglycerin it's the same thing exactly. that blows up you know mountains yes <laughs> it's kind of interesting in pill form, <laughs> you know, so there's the, it, the it's just, it it's like Ivermectin, the there's the for horse form, it. there's the horse form of Ivermectin, yeah. and there's the people form. There is the exploding, mm-hmm. you know, railroad building form of nitroglycerin, and there's the one that helps your heart.
0: <laughs> okay. so yeah,
4: uh, Make sure you awesome. get the right one.
1: Yeah. Don't, don't put the shoes on. But your
4: I know that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the main <laughs> thing that I see this vaccine causing is, mm-hmm. I see it causing heart problems, and I see it causing cancer. And it's the, it's the rapid, growing and so well, I think, you just, know, we, we yeah. have options for this. Mm-hmm. Like, well, it killed I my friend. I would be deaf. Definitely... My friend, Dr. Pry.
1: Do you ever yeah. hear Dr. Pry on this show? Peter Pry, the uh, nuclear mm-hmm. expert? No. Oh, man, was a genius. He died last August. I, I'm, I, I don't know, but I know. In other words, I know, but I can't prove it, that uh, the COVID shot killed him. Yeah. He had to take a COVID shot for travel. And six months later, he was dead. And so and yeah. I could hear the decline in his voice. You know, he had cancer and he, he took a break for a while, like a year, year and a half ago. So I got to take a break. I got cancer. I got to go to treatment. And then he comes back like a month or so later. Hey, guess what? Treatments are great. It's in remission. We're okay. I'm like, good. Well, then he came back with a vengeance after his COVID shot and he died. And so we know what that yeah. is. You know, and, and so we've all talked about that. Um, but the thing is, for those folks that have had the jab, don't sit around feeling guilty. Don't hide. Don't sit there thinking you no. guys, you know, don't sit around, you know, waiting for the ticking time bomb to go off. Do something. Get proactive because now we have treatments and we have stop cure.
4: listening. What's that? Stop listening to the doctor. Stop listening to anyone that told oh, yeah. you that this drug well, was safe. because there's not that, one single drug in the United in in, in the world that mm-hmm. anyone can say is 100% safe. If anybody told mm-hmm. you this drug was safe, you need to never take their advice about anything again.
1: Well, stop. and I'd also, and, add, and don't stuff. take don't take advice from a doctor who makes money from the the Medicare system, the CMS. If they're on the take, if they get a lot of their money from government uh, any kind of government program, you know, like Remdesivir, you know, the whole the whole financial incentive system. You know, the Remdesivir ventilator does. If,
4: the if, if they're selling the CDC, stay away from them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, if they're, if they're yeah. a government doctor, yeah. get away from them. Yeah. Private doctors with private medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got about three minutes left. Let's do the bill. is up next week. Let's just go over the introduction. The introduction will be fine. So okay. there's three areas. So I will I will read the area and you can sort of tell me about the rest of it. The election integrity bill of 2023 was written for these reasons: one, for lack of transparency. Diane. Um, well,
4: can you look at a machine and tell somebody Oh,
1: yeah, that's true. Yeah. No. Well, I'll just read what it says. It says yeah. zero machines of any kind allowed in the polling place. Preprinted paper ballots only. Paper ledgers only. All poll workers uh, bonded. Videotape all ballot counting. And 1,000 people or less per precinct so able to get results by midnight. Any of those you want to talk about? And we've got a couple of minutes. We'll just run over a couple of minutes because we should go over this. Well, So transparency. I, no voting machines, yeah, paper I ballots did. only, bonded workers, and 1,000-person uh, precincts. Yeah.
4: There's been so many. I, I've seen so much. There's proof that they can flip the vote the inside the machines, that they can flip Using even with the Evid, that's where you, that's the machine that checks you in. In Dallas, Mm -hmm. there was a videotape of a woman that at the end of the night, and she's watching her counts jump by hundreds of of the voters that that say that she checked in. And she's like, got a videotape of the votes just jumping, counting. Mm -hmm. These machines are crooked. And mm-hmm. Even if they're not crooked, we don't know if they're crooked or not because I'm not an expert. I'm not going to pull this machine apart. I'm not going to be able to tell if somebody's got the software completely hacked. So we just need to stop using them. And we were looking into. I didn't. Uh, we didn't talk about the price on it too. Uh, we figured out all the. We can go over that next week, I guess. But the cost of the machines, and we haven't had any bought any machines in the center of the county since 2009, according to Cappy. So um
1: well it's a lot more expensive for voting machines. And, them. Yeah, it's more expensive for the machines than to hire people to actually count them by hand. Far more expensive. So you're not well, saving money by machine. You got to hire them anyway. To,
4: you got to hire yeah. you got to hire the people anyway to work the, the day. You only add one or two more people a day to count so that ballot in the night maybe have some fresh people so their brains aren't yeah. right, fried from working 12 mm-hmm. hours already. But we know what that's like. It, the cost Well the cost is minimal if you look at the cost of the uh the E S and S machines, you got the cost mm-hmm. of the even machine that checks you in, then you have the cost of the huge machine back at the SOA's office that counts the ballots.
0: There's mm-hmm. multiple
4: of those. So if you look at the millions of dollars that that we would save by not replacing these machines and just using the cost is our time because it'll take us longer at the end of the night. But if we have and and it's also the SOE's time because they have to divide up the precinct you can't have a huge precinct and be able to count the ballots at night. And so you need to have smaller precincts, and that takes more work on their end to be able to get the ballots to each one of those precincts. So they might have to have more staff to be able to do all this, but um, it's just, we've got to go old school. You know, if we really want, and and videotape the entire thing. If Uh we're not videotaping uh in proving you have proof and save those videotapes and you know, it's just like we're having our police wear body cams. This is the same thing. Why wouldn't we videotape our vote counting? It's ridiculous and be able to see it. So it
0: makes sense to me. Uh, and then but that's also, the
1: biggest reason is yeah. okay, oh, right, go ahead. You're gonna say something. I'm sorry.
4: Well and we need to we need to have pre printed paper ballots because look what happened in Arizona. They mm-hmm. ended up changing their printers the morning of the election and they put them at 90% where the ballot wouldn't go through the even or the that was um, intentional the Dominion machine
1: that was was intentional
4: intentional. a hundred percent was intentional so you know no machines and have those uh, all those um, it, it doesn't matter if it doesn't go through a machine if it's on paper you know so yeah if you're going to you know if you're you know, we wouldn't even have to have that elaborate of ballots anymore because if you're going to count them at the precinct, have <laughs> the count at the precinct and take that print that count to the SOE's office. Mm-hmm. You know, so well, I just think yeah. that somehow we need to just go old school.
1: I agree. And most countries have done that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the second reason, there's four reasons, but the the, the first one's the longest. And the next one is to clean the bloated voter rolls and verify citizenship and this is in memory of Pete Antonucci. So voter registration expires at midnight every year on December 31st. Initial registration will be accompanied in person at the uh, Secretary of Election office with proof of citizenship and proof of residence. Renew annually online, you know like your car registration. So once you've established uh, that you, you're uh, you haven't moved, you know, you're still in the county. You, you've already proven your citizenship. You know, you can do it online after that. But if anything changes, of course, that would be like a, a new uh, a new registration. But uh, voter registrations, all of them expire midnight December 31st. That was my idea.
4: Yes, it was. It was a very good idea. Yeah, it was. What do you think? Our, we have a very we have a very bloated voter roll here in Santa Rosa, and so this mm-hmm. would clean it immediately. It was. It would it would solve so many problems, and we also need to verify. And this is what Pete and was so worried about. We have a lot of illegal citizens that are are registered to vote, and we're talking about every single. There
1: person. are no illegal citizens. Illegal, <laughs> illegal
4: aliens, right? I'm getting ahead yeah. of myself, but mm-hmm. this if we had every single person come in and verify their citizenship to, mm-hmm. to register to vote, we. This would be a tremendous help. If, to be able to register initially, you would have to come into their office, bring like your birth certificate or your naturalization papers, or you know some way to verify passport. that you are a uh, passport. An citizen. Passport. Yep. Your passport, exactly.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: So, um, but we would clean our voter rolls immediately, and then then they could set it up online, just like the driver's license or your license plate, and you renew it annually. So, and it would expire every year on December
1: 31st. Yeah. So the point of this, the reason that uh, I thought of this is because I was listening to all these ridiculous arguments. Well, we have to check this, and we need a computer program for that, and how are we going to cross-reference this? I said, just stop all this crap. Just cancel all of them. They all expire December 31st. Then you don't have to worry about it. And all the dead people are not going to be able to register again. So that problem is taken care of. All the people that have moved, that problem is taken care of. Because, you, you know, you've got to prove your residence, you know, and uh, anyway, it just it solves so many problems. So we're, all, we're out of time. So let me just do a couple of these last ones real fast. To further cut down on fraud, there are only four types of IDs accepted, Florida driver's license, passport, government ID, and military ID. And the driver's license in Florida, you do have to prove your citizenship before you get it. That's what's different. So Florida driver's license, uh, not just any driver's license, you know, because a lot of states like California wow. are worthless. Diane.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I I worry that there's some driver's license in Florida. That they're not really doing Well, a they're front. Well, Ours so are doing, you a, really, say, Ours is well, doing listen, a really good job here.
1: Yeah. But I would, you really can make a modification. Florida driver's license, you know, with proof of citizenship, with birth certificate or something like that. Driver's license should never stand on its own. Just like Social Security, just shouldn't stand on its own. I mean, I, Social Security cards are worthless as far as I'm concerned. They just print those up. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> you think the ballot printing is is difficult. It's easy to print up a Social Security card, but the Florida driver's license, you know, and I would uh, consider that modification with proof of citizenship, you know, with birth certificate or something like that. Anyway, we can talk about that. Last one, uh, yeah, the last one for future audits: all early voting uh, and mail-in voting must be sorted and stored by precinct. You explain that one?
4: Yeah, right time. now. Yeah, right now there's seven different places that you can go for early voting, and they just pile all those ballots together and store them together. So anybody from any precinct can go to any early voting site. So you've got – we have 41 different precincts here, so you could have 41. They're all jumbled together. So when you Mm -hmm. want to go do an audit, you have to sort out all of the other ballots. So if we had those – and it wouldn't take that long um, to be able to – to store the ballots in the different precincts because you don't get that in early voting, you don't get that many uh, ballots. Mm-hmm. To, uh, you know, you, you could sort them that night and have your volunteer, your co-workers that night, sort them out and store them per precinct. So um, I think that would be really important and a, a really good use of time to be able to do that because, I mean, as soon as the ballot comes, if they're going to be voting by paper ballot, you have you could have a file with 40 different, you know, sections in it, and you just take that ballot, you see uh, what, what precinct they're in, and you file it into a file for that precinct after mm-hmm. they've voted. Hmm. So, or after you've counted it, you're going to count them that night, and you, as soon as you pick it up, you go there in precinct 4070 or 41 or whatever, you put it into that file mm-hmm. for 41. So then we're all stored. We're counted and we're stored at the same time. So yeah. it things.
1: So. See, I don't want, I don't like
4: yeah.
1: mail-in voting at all. I would. I would uh, totally get rid of that. And early voting, I would have all early voting done in person at the elections office. Now maybe that's too restrictive, but that's 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 what I, I would yeah. think about doing. Yeah. So yeah, we, we can we talk about this.
4: talked about that, but
1: the bill was getting so long. Yeah. That's okay. We can modify it. We can always change it next yeah. time. Um, but uh, that's something to talk about too, because we still amend these things until he submits it, until Joel submits it. You know, we can still make changes. But once it's done, uh, then we just have to see what the legislature does, and they might make changes, too. So we, so Joe might want his own changes too. Have, have you asked him if he uh, has read it and whether he wants to make any modifications himself?
4: Right. He's up in Tallahassee, so I have not. But okay. I, won't I mean, you
1: want to do it now? To but when does the session start? Yeah. Session starts in March.
4: March, March, yeah.
1: Okay, got a little bit of time. Yes. Yeah. Not much. Yeah. All right. Okay, cool. I'm done. Yeah. You done?
4: Well, he seems very. I did. I did put in a um, in a video of I, a question that I did ask him and I did say, hey, you know, this is this is one of the more important things in our country right now, because it it, it depends on whether we're going to have an election or a selection. And he said, yep. well, I'm going to be doing a lot of reading on my told me he was going to read the bill that night. So Good. hopefully he did. Good. He yeah. sounds like he's really well, interested in it.
1: Then. It's fairly complex, but it's also done by sections. So if people take a look at the bill itself, it's, it's very, very sectioned up. Uh, according to the, the different things, and, and just let me pull it up here again. Uh, so as, as people go through the bill, we've got a lot of different headings. You know, we've got the reasons for it. You know, we have uh, the first section, ninety-seven point oh five three, exceptions of voter registration applications. You can see where the old languages we're taking out. You can see where the new stuff is. It's all outlined very systematically. Uh And, and in fact, the biggest part are the parts we're deleting. You know, like ninety-seven oh five three part six by. <laughs> you know, uh, so you yeah. can just go through it, <laughs> go part by, by part. Yeah, you know, Here's another one, too. Uh, Part 1A of uh, 101.043, identification required of the polls. You know, most of that stuff, you know, buy. So we're actually cutting more than we're keeping uh, and just making it better. So it may look complex, but if you go section by section, and you can actually read the uh, uh, the current sections in law, but we post those. So They're that simplifying. simplifying. Yeah, so the bill, it's, it's actually longer, but it's simplified. You can see the old law and the new law we're proposing right on top of each other. So just go through it, read through it, be careful. And if anybody has questions, call us. You know, call the show, 215 uh, 383 Get us on, uh, you can you know, post something on our, uh, join our, our election integrity group on Facebook, and, and you know, either I or, or Diane or somebody will uh, start making comments on that, <laughs> which we tend to do, uh, and go from there. And do you have your personal page I'm open for folks, to. or is it fairly private, your your own personal page?
4: No, mine's private. My own personal
1: page is private. Okay, so don't do that. Uh, go to the election integrity page on uh, from Action So Action Radio Election Integrity project. I believe is the name. And that's where you'll find it.
4: Yeah. And that's public. I'm hoping to have Josh Josh Yoder on soon. So mm-hmm. um, he's with the Freedom Flyers. Yep. He's, a, he's with the Freedom Flyers. He's a pilot. And he was mm-hmm. uh, suing the airlines. And, uh, <clears throat> but he has gotten hundreds of pilots that have been, say hundreds, tons of pilots that have been calling him that are vaccinated. So, well, I think all of them are.
1: Isn't any current airline person. pilot, aren't they all jabbed, all the airline pilots now? Otherwise, they're working for private no. companies or something else?
0: They're
4: not? How many no, are not? No, he's, he's he is still flying. I don't know if we could ask him. I don't have the percentage. But they're, he's flying, and he's not jabbed because they brought him back.
1: Because <laughs> they needed him. Well, Um, and and I think Steve Hirsch made the point to, Kirsch made the point that uh, you should have at least one, you know, non-vaccine injured pilot, you know, whether it's the first officer or the captain, but you got to have one person up there that has not had the jab just in case.
4: Well, they better be doing D dimers on these guys and checking their heart. D dimer. Tell me but more about
1: that for next week because I think that's very interesting. And and how can anybody who's had the jab get that? And how do they go about getting one? And is that an urgent care thing or is it a hospital visit? I think people should know about that. That'd be a fascinating question. Okay, your doctor. Okay, you're, your, okay. Your doctor. So let's. So yeah, let's pre- Well, we you know, I don't want to do this. Let's do that next week. Amongst everything else, we're going to do. So, see, this is why I don't worry about us having stuff to talk about. You know, we're, we're, we still have stuff to talk about, and we're we're 12 minutes overtime, <laughs> which is fine. <laughs> That's how we do it. No worries. Okay, any other meetings? Uh, any other events coming up? Any announcements?
4: Um, we're just working on the newsletter for CORE. So, we have a meeting for that tonight. So, we're going to get our newsletter out for citizens organizing to, uh, to restore ethics. That's for Santa Rosa. Ooh. And we're putting out a newsletter once a month, and uh-huh. we've,
1: is that has, open to people? It, we've
4: combined a whole yes, absolutely. Okay.
1: So how do people and, join, um, and uh, do you take donations, and can people support it, and what can they do? Tell me about it.
4: Oh, oh okay. Now I don't have this pulled up. So then we we're we'll gonna do it next week. It. Uh, we'll talk about next yes, week. we'll yeah. do it next week. But yep. it, it's a newsletter. It's going to go out. If you want to see the newsletter, we always put them over at, um, and I'll plug Christmas uh go focus on We have the copy of the newsletter when we get out. it'll come out probably uh, right around February first. but it's just uh, it's action items for the county. We've combined a whole lot of into mm-hmm. one and we've got a database of over six hundred people now and mm-hmm. uh, that we can put out an action alert for for an email and say, hey, yeah. we need everybody to show up to this they can or you know this is happening over in this part of the county or so um and we point out anything that's fraudulent and we applaud things
0: that are good. Can
4: That's I write a
1: column? <laughs> Talk to the boss. I want to write a column because I want to present a couple. Well, actually, the, the bill that you presented, you should write on that one Um if you haven't already, but I, I want did. to write one. I one. did. Okay, good. Well, I want to see that. Yeah, I definitely want to see that. It's in there. But I want to write it. A... Okay, good. But I, see if you can get me for next month to write one on our uh, illegal alien free zone bill that'll keep uh, illegal alien or kick illegal aliens out of the county by making it impossible for them to live here by way of civil asset forfeiture. So that's something we should present too. That one needs working. And Chris uh, Smith at uh, Gulf Coast Guns, shameless plug there, Chris uh, might um, you know want to help us with that, which would be <laughs> great. We should get him on the show too. Yeah, he'd be good to have on as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Possibilities, isn't this fun? Yes,
4: yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay. Thank you, Diane. Yes, we'll see you again tomorrow. Them. Oh, next yes. week. I'm sorry, uh, I'll do it tomorrow.
4: Listen to your, yeah, I want to listen to your uh, your with Christina Bob tomorrow.
1: That's going to be fascinating. If you have a question, email, yes. send it to me. Call me, you know, beforehand. Um, you know what I'm going to ask?
0: Okay.
1: January sixth. Uh, you know, Mike Pence making his uh, his deal with the devil to be uh, the GOP nominee. Uh, what happened under the Capitol? The twenty-second Amendment. Uh, you know, the, the good stuff. Well, you sour?
4: He felt he was like reporting. He was reporting that he had some documents too. Well, that's another thing too. How about
1: that? That proves to me me it's part of the deep state. The fact that Mike Pence has. Has classified documents shows me that uh, he's part of the deep state. That uh, he's made his deal with the devil. That he was uh, in return for keeping Trump from being elected by pushing the Brandon electors and refusing to have the the, the Trump electors be sent back to the states for consideration. Uh, that uh, that he's uh, he's deep state. That was his deal. You know, I'll get you. I'll keep Trump off the election. You know, if uh, yeah, vice well, that he's
4: not allowed to declassify anything. Like Trump could declassify anything, and nobody would even know.
1: Yeah, but that's, that's not... Pence
4: He was vice president.
1: Yeah, but what I think is more significant... And neither well, it's, buy- significant, it's significant he had classified documents, but what was really significant is that he totally destroyed the process um, on January 6th. His job was, when you have two slates of electors, to send it back to the states and say, you guys need to figure this out. We'll count it when you're done, but you need yeah. to figure this out. And you need to do it fast because we've got the inauguration coming up on the 20th. That's what he should have said. He should when take it week, a, solve it. When get you
4: your have 100... 147 electors saying we have fraud, here's the proof, and you say, we don't want to hear it, goodbye, <laughs> and, vote, and vote to not do any kind of an investigation. Yeah, you need to be done. Was
1: that 147 electors or 147 members of the House? I think it was members of the House.
4: 147. It was members of the House. I said that wrong. You're right. Oh, members, it was <laughs> no. legislative people. I don't know if it was Senate and House. No, or it, was, it 147 was 147 House, 12
1: people. senators. But you'll notice 12 senators, 147 House members who objected to uh, this is before you know the 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 the, uh, the talk you know the Capitol Hill Invitational walk-in, but they came out publicly before January 6 and said we're going to challenge these states: Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada, Michigan, Wisconsin, Georgia, and Pennsylvania. Those are the states that issued um, Trump electors as well as Brandon electors. You know, the Trump electors came from the Republican legislators, which have precedence, which have priority. Uh, over the governors and the secretary of state mike pence's crime was taking the governors and the secretary of States, taking the brandon electors denying the trump electors not sending it back to the states which he was constitutionally bound to do and then lying about it saying that he specifically couldn't do that so he's a liar a cheat a fraud and he's the only major candidate on the presidential ticket to steal his own election for the other side that's what i think of mike pence
0: very well diane yeah
1: i get on a roll sometimes
0: yeah
1: (laughs) <laughs> let me go. Wind me up and let me go. Yep. yep. Here we go. So let's see what Christina Bob has to say. She has half an hour, but I'll tell you, if she wants to stay longer, I'm not kicking her out. You know, she can stay as long yes, as she absolutely. likes tomorrow. Yep. I might take more okay. calls. Who knows what we'll What do? time It'll is be, that? It'll uh, be 8 okay. o'clock.
0: 8?
1: Yep. 8 o'clock Eastern, 9 okay. o'clock. No, eight, 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central Time. 7 Mountain, 6 Pacific. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, one last Wait, thing. Well, I'll will, get up, up your... and Okay, good. Yeah, early. Yeah, eight o'clock. Yeah, this is where on your day. I was watching the, the news <laughs> hey, just before I'm the retired. show. I'm tired. I'm retired too. Well, I'm retired with my first real career. <laughs> I'm in a different position. We, I actually had to retire. We did I had to 30 retire. years
4: at 5 o'clock in the morning. So I, no, did, no, I well. did, we did 30 years at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, when I retire, I'm closing in, and I have. That makes sense. But okay. I actually have to get up. I have to be in Pensacola early tomorrow, so I'll be listening Ooh. to you in the car.
1: Listen on the way in. Yeah, for folks that don't know, you can always listen on your phone to action radio while you're driving. Just plug your phone into your, your vehicle audio. You know, It works the same as your as your radio. works just as well, maybe better. Uh, but yeah. especially these new so we'll radios like that. Well, it was kind of funny. The doomsday clock, it's now 90 seconds to midnight on the doomsday clock when we're all supposed to, you know, drop dead of nuclear war. And then I thought to myself, well, oh, wait a minute, 90 seconds to midnight and daylight savings coming.
4: I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> doomsday clock.
1: I'll put it on Facebook and see who knows. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll explain the joke later. I'm going to post it on Facebook and see who gets it. Yeah. So if the, the doomsday clock says we are 90 seconds to midnight and the world ends when the clock reaches midnight and daylight savings coming, what does that tell you? I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm gonna, I just let not hang. I'm not going to say a thing. I'm just going to let – I'll explain it tomorrow. This will be our, our moment of intrigue. I will explain it tomorrow because I'm going to post it on Facebook today. Let's see who gets it. So I'm going to let you puzzle that one all okay. day long. Aren't they great?
4: <laughs> yeah. 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 I will worry about it all day.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you will. Yeah. Like, uh, you have nothing better to do. Yeah. With, mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Exactly. 30 seconds off the air. You're going to be eating breakfast or lunch or forgetting the whole thing. I know.
4: You can't fool me. <laughs> all right. Uh, you know me well, Greg.
1: I do. I do. That's why you're on the show. Greg Panglis for Action Radio at blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action, writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, and givesendgo.com slash action radio. That's where you help keep us going here, giveandgo.com slash action radio. Share the show, share the bills, share everything you can, and I'll be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Central Time with Christina Bob, uh, Trump's lawyer and one American news reporter uh, at 8 o'clock Central Time. Talk to you all then.
4: Thanks, Greg.
1: Well, that sounds good. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should too. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Penglis Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio, using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system.